Hey, real quick, is the audio better? Yeah, the audio is better. <laughs> okay. We will explain that, you know. All right. I post on Twitter, on Twitter too. So, anyways, um, sorry, I got distracted by a take by uh, Nightmare Vision about Spangler. And uh, I, I didn't know Spangler liked the Impressionist that much. Man, I, I, it's been a while since I read Decline of the West. And I read it when I wasn't like fully aware. And listen, guys, if I see you doing towers in the chat, I'm going to ban people. Don't. Please. God. Anyways, this is the Digital Archipelago. Finally, um, after a week hiatus, uh, Prude, you were on uh, Holy uh, Easter, Orthodox Easter week. And what do what's the word that you call it? Pasca. Pasca. Sorry. How did I not? I miss that. Um, call it Pasquale. Um, but yeah, so that's why we had to miss. And uh, I know you got, listen, I don't want to bring this. I don't want to be a grifter. Okay. I don't want to be a grifter, but I mean, you, you <laughs> give deep and give generous to you guys are pretty generous to brood last time we were on. Listen, Cyber Ninja Zero, how dare you? I please, please. you you should be my friend here. My greatest friend. Me. So well, I've, I've, I have other frenemies, but Cyber Ninja Zero is uh, one of the dedicated GeoCell A-logs, but I like having a few A-logs around just to keep us on our toes. But uh, anyways, this is the Digital Archipelago, episode 39. I can't believe, almost at 40. Uh, and we have a good friend on today, our great friend Christopher Sandbatch, who hopefully will illuminate the uh, topics we're going to discuss and uh, will not get us into uh, OPSEC trouble. But I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's another thing for another time. How are you, my friend? How are you, Christopher? He's in a coffee shop, apparently, but he's probably ordering a, a probably ordering an espresso. And out. And he's out. <laughs> oh, well. He'll, come uh, back. He'll, he'll be back in a minute. That tends to be the case um but yeah, right. it's been a it's been a fun week off although i have not been off in the slightest i had two sort of videos come out last week and i'll have one out hopefully this weekend as well uh there's an odyssey exclusive that you can go tune into with dimes over from blood satellite if you're in for something interesting and then uh, a new fishing video is out but mr sandbatch is back are we are we here to stay this time yeah probably you can hear me nice. We can oh, yeah. now. Yeah, we can hear yeah, you. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I was like, I, I was, I was messing around with the settings because I don't have a StreamYard account, and every time one of y'all sends me a link to it, I start messing with the settings, uh, just because I'm like, 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 like a real twitchy person. I'm like, ooh, what does this button do? And then I like mute <laughs> I myself. <laughs> you, you do have a twitch to you. You have a sort of a, you know, a, a, a spurtigoid, uh, you know, jumpiness. Um. It's pretty good though. Pretty right, good. yeah. I'm it's super really happy to be though. here though on the most important day in the right way in the right wing calendar, which is Grateful Dead Day. <laughs> that's why I, I got my I got my old I got my old avatar on. Yeah, that's that's true. Um December, April twentieth is the day where a few men stood against time. The end of Waco. Um Columbine. No, you know what? I'm not going to do the bit. Please, just escape some. In case someone caps me saying positive things, you've about already anything. tweeted it out, Geo. It's perfectly fine. I deleted one of the. Tweets. 
gotta delete. I every year I tweet <laughs> that out and I delete it because I'm like, oh man, what if, um, you know, that's what if some tracker account, you know? But but I didn't tweet. I didn't tweet the the visage of uh, one particular Austrian painter, but one of his paintings instead. But maybe I don't know. That they'll probably trip uh certain people. So I'm going to delete the tweet. But I'm getting distracted by Renew Fault getting ready for a fat. Uh, B word Friday. So, um, is this another tradition that comes out of a Steven Pinker tweet from like 2013 where he's in a diner and he's asking about the homeless person with a sign that says he needs a fat bitch? <laughs> that's true. It's probably that's my true. favorite tweet from uh, no, it was Richard Dawkins who tweeted that. And that's probably Richard the, Dawkins. It's probably the smartest yeah. thing Richard Dawkins has ever said. Yeah, it is. Well, apart from his stuff in Selfish Gene, but, you know, I mean, when I, you know, I've never that, heard his voice, I've never heard his voice, never read a thing that he's written. I feel like I can, I, I can do this because you do, and you could probably attest to this, that once you get on a certain level of theory selling, you can yeah. just kind of put your, you can just put your hand on the book and tell what's inside it. You know, that's true. He's, he's one of those guys. Well, the God delusion was really big back in the day. Um, it was, it was like, that was like the end. But then when you look like back to it, it really wasn't like nothing like at all. That is really, you know, worthy of note. Um, like, because there was one person that compared the two. They said that with Christopher Hitchens, it could only be written by Christopher Hitchens, but with Dawkins, like any old dork theory, Sal could probably write the book. So And look yeah. at and, you know, his legacy is kind of great in this instance because what what comes out of the God delusion is two pathways: you get uh, an intersectional screeching feminist, or you get a hardcore race realist. <laughs> you get Rebecca Watson, or you get uh, you get I don't know. You'll get H media and her ex on Twitter. <laughs> Basically, yeah, you're Richard Hanania, but. Oh God, probably not. Probably not. I actually liked, I don't know who tweeted it out, but someone had done like the redified deep fried picture of his uh, visage, just like image on Twitter. And he's just like, I broke into your house. He's like, I'm here to save you from those theocrat Republicans. Your grandmother looked <laughs> old, so I euthanized her. The New York Times is the best thing ever. And I just thought to myself, someone should really make a next bot. Uh, like they use for Gmod and other Half-Life bits where you're just getting, you know, chased by a PNG. And it would just be um, clips of Richard Hanania saying just inane shit uh, in podcasts. And like, it would say that every time it kills you. And it's like, actually, the New York Times is really credible. And then it's like, bah, 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 you know, like every time that you die in uh, a Half-Life 2 Source Engine game, and it'll just be perfect. Um, I need to I need to paint Dark Hanania. I, I I need a I need a Hanania next bot, and I will play the Hanania next bot game. Because uh, I was <laughs> I was fucking around with Streamyards yesterday because I have rural internet, and I was like, oh, I I've I've teased that I, I occasionally wanted like do a video game playthrough or something, um, and so I tested it out like last night at eleven o'clock. I, I we played a little bit of Cursed Halo for an hour, uh, the Inferno Plus mod, and it was a lot of fun. So yeah, I was glad oh, that that man. all worked out. Um, I might do more of that in the future. But yeah, I will play a dark Hanania <laughs> uh, next bot with him chasing me down with his interviews with Vivek Ramaswamy and all that sort of jazz. <laughs> Is he a Vivek guy? 
Uh, he interviewed him. He's made the case on his Substack oh about why he should be president of the United States. It's terrifying. <laughs> did, did you see the clip where Vivek was saying that? And the Taiwanese, like Americans, should defend their homeland with Bushmasters. It's like that good old humble American Second Amendment as apple pie, but only now the Taiwanese and the you know blue yellow people. Yeah, behind uh, behind every um, you know behind every like. Uh, I guess wet market, you know, there's going to be a Bushmaster waiting for the PLA. <laughs> Behind every blade of lemongrass is going to be a Bushmaster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so final word of shilling before we get into it. Um, yesterday, I had the fourth chapter of uh, Art After Metaphysics where I get into Baskinski. Hopefully that takes off. Hopefully, like, as I know, like the, uh, as I bash them in the S an episode, um, the YouTube video essayists, they 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 really love Baskinski because he's like you know the Reddit he's becoming Redditified, but other than that I have um, yesterday there was some tef- technical difficulties but I will definitely post it after the stream. Uh, I'll give you the the link afterwards. Um, I was on the War Report again and we went like over three hours talking about um, different news items, but more more than that just like the general picture of how the uh the special military operations going we talked about the uh, jack what's his name the leaker the the pentagon kid and then thug we talked thug shaker central yeah yeah what a uh, great talk- gc name by the way <laughs> yeah i know um like and we also- you know press f to that kid but i mean it's yeah press it's f over. for him it's over for him but maybe we'll, we could talk a little bit about it here but we also went into Yevgeny Bergozhin's letter, which was quite illuminating. Um, I think with the letter, he probably has political aspirations. But anyways, uh, hopefully we get Sam Batch back. He said he'll be right back. Um, before he gets back, before we cover the article, do you want to talk? Like, I listen, everyone, like, the reason the numbers are pretty low now, I could probably guess. Because I probably guess that you people are probably watching Fish Tank on another tab right now. Okay, so let's get it over with. Let's talk about Fish Tank and Sam Hyde. Let's get, every streamer has been flipping their lid because it's all people want to watch is the Fish Tank. So, I, have, I haven't watched any of it except for what people post on Twitter. Uh, the idea of what surviving, of, what is it, a month, 30 days in a house, no phone? Six weeks. Six weeks. Okay, so a little more than that. So basically, what, 40 days, right? Um, oh, yeah. A little more than that. But yeah, so what a great concept. Uh you've reinvented big brother, but now I can Twitch stream and donate and TTS is going to tell me to do ridiculous shit. And I, I saw the clip for meet the contestants. Cause I saw the YouTube channel for it. What an odd bunch of zoomers that just, yeah, I know. Is, I don't know this point. This is like a, a, a masterpiece of uh, experimental then, like, work, going, I guess. Yeah. But they're going to be immortalized because then the hide heads are going like old heads are going to like, you know, docs everything about them. Like they already found Sylvia's OnlyFans. Um, by the way, shout out to all Sylvia cells. Um, everyone loves Josie. You know, they found her TikTok doing like anime, even though she doesn't watch anime, she just does the artwork. Uh, yeah, they're gonna like know everything about these people. And I, like I said to Schwab last night on uh, Twitter Space, it's like. I think people don't realize that Sam Hyde, there is a lot of like, um, 
there is a lot of like millennial, like older millennial MTV type of culture. Like it's a more high ended take. It's a more high IQ version of like the MTV trash culture in that now you have a reality show, but that now it's like actually 24 seven. It's not like big brother. It's not like the real life. It's like actual 24 seven with super chats enabled. And there have been like Twitch streamers and there have been like IP two streamers that have done this where they're like living for a period of time where the chat basically runs their life. I believe ice Poseidon uh, did this and uh, you know, Schwab had a great point uh, from my point about how Sam Hyde is like the perfect, like er, hyper real artist in a sense that he's collected all of these like little nomads around him that, that do his work, like people like jet Neptune and they have, they all have their own like arc and they all have their own like input and they more or less, I think, come up from the same culture that we've come up in. And I think that's why Million Dollar Extreme, that's why World Peace uh, is such was such a brutal loss to us because it was the time where we could make it. And it was a time where the sort of the, the antipods of the online world can be exposed to a greater audience. But now that Sam Hyde is like doing this guerrilla media production stuff, it really is sort of becoming a phenomenon that the mainstream is like forced to pay attention to. Um, like people like are looking at this like fish tank. Yeah. Geo should be on season two. Can you imagine if I was on season two of fish tank? My God. Um, like people are creating these idols in real time of these people, the way, but I would say in a different way than what people have done with like reality TV stars. I mean, maybe it'd be the similar, but it's it's like a different take on like all of the reality TV stars that people have come like grown accustomed to over the years. It's like reality TV is dead because the networks are dying and nobody cares. And it's not like I could remember back in like the early 2000s where everyone was like watching Jersey Shore or whatever, like the mid 2000s. It's like nobody cares anymore. Now we have like these internet dwellers where it's like, Josie is people's, you know, it's Josie is a waifu. Uh, you know, um, John is like the 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 autist that you are. And it's like a layer of authenticity or rather Sam Hyde. The reason he's brilliant is because he gives you the illusion to authenticity. Whereas we all know that like big network productions are mostly fake. Um, yeah, see, look, even Goff, Goff right here. Never, never ever begin for Josie Sells, Letty Chads, never. See, like, look, look, look. It's right in her chat. It's right in her chat. Fish take archipelago. <laughs> Anyways. Is, is Two this boys not a, takes on it? Is this not a greater sign of the fact that it's 24-7, cameras are constantly running, chat can interact at any time? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's streaming culture brought to real life, you know? I like you just said it's in the chat, so maybe my brain is just I'm thinking. Sorry about that, by the way. I just did that shit again. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna hit F5 for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> You're really embracing the 30 year old boomer inside of you, there, Sandbag. Oh, so bad. I'm not even like, <laughs> like, like it, it, I'm perfectly fine with all technology until I get like on the air with people, and then I'm like, let's change everything. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, a fish tank would be. I, I would love to live with a bunch of friends for a few days in a in a house, but then I guess it would be too. Anyways, do you guys have theory salt takes on fish tank? 
I'll just try and get my point across rather quickly. I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's a way to make reality TV less fake. It's more accessible. Interactions are in real time, but it's also a great way to look at people that are under constant observation at all times. I mean, we, we yeah. already are with our phones, our, our smart TVs and things like that. But, you know, now we get to interact with it. And I don't know, it feels like a great way to dehumanize people while at the same mm -hmm. time, like get your entertainment rocks off. Like we're going to, we're going to take, and again, right. This is a two way street. Cause I mean, these people, I guess signed up for it or were chosen or were in his orbit or wanted to do this. I don't know how long this project's been going on or how much planning. and effort I, I don't think it. they know a lot about Sam Hyde and like the lore from what I can tell from what I've watched. That's probably for the best. Uh, yeah. Cause I'd imagine that, if you're on your phone and looking up who Sam Hyde is and trying to make, they're like, Oh shit. Right. Like I'm in this <laughs> performance experimental art piece that is now going to redefine reality television. Cause it can be streamed constantly and people can, you know, make that whatever amount of money he's probably put into this. I'd imagine he'll probably make his money back or at least a, a substantial sum. But I, I, I think a super chat is like a hundred dollars to send them a message. Holy shit. Then yeah, yeah. I think he'll, he'll be fine. Um, you know, you can send us a message for $2 or more, but you know, it, it's a, a crazy thing to think about that. We're, we're going to make the Panopticon more entertaining, I guess. Cause now even the people under the real world surveillance state can now enjoy the microcosm of it for shits and grins. Yeah, Josie trying to flip a bottle. See, like the most mundane stuff, like like the guy, like CCP Simon doing headstands. Like, like it's it like it's funny. There's one take I came across, which was from um the oh, what's his name? He's followed me for years. Um the one that runs computer aesthetics. Uh he he said like Sam Hyde managed to get zoomers and like a bunch of like far right um like chan culture autists to like glom over a reality television show like it's the daily store like you know like old biddies They're like mm -hmm. i gotta listen to my stories and it's like they watch you know young and the restless it's like this is our y and r but it's 24 7 <laughs> you know <laughs> it's the perfect television show that's not a television show for the terminally online apparently if they raise enough money they're gonna lease uh frank castle on them so we'll see if that pans out but, uh, Chris, what do you think of it? I mean, to be honest, I don't even know who Josie is. I know who Sam Hyde is, uh, but but the rest is all over my head. I'm just, I'm in, I'm, in <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So do we want to cover the article first, or do you want to talk about the, the, the leaks or... Like well, let, let, let's do the article while Sandbatch is still with us. All right, good. No, it's not, I'm not going away again. I'm like I have I've, I've banished banished myself from touching any of the devices that are arrayed around <laughs> me. That's an accomplishment. For <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah. So let, let's go with Sandbatch first. Chris, what? Oh, this is kind. Of, <laughs> see, this is like this is like fish tank right here. Um, <laughs> and we're also streaming on Twitter and please need those super chats. Um, I know some of you probably are banked. Uh, you're, you're saving up the neat bucks for, uh, so you could donate a super chat to say that, uh, you know, Sylvia has a hairy, you know what, but anyways, if you could give, give kindly, give frequently to the digital archipelago, that would be much appreciated. 
But uh, yeah, go Brew changes avatar. Um, that's crazy. That like it's funny whenever they have a super chat where like Sylvia, someone like reminds Sylvia that she has an OnlyFans. She like just ignores it. Like like what else are you gonna do? Like what do you? I'm assuming that they. <laughs> I'm assuming that they don't have any access to their phones or social media. I think that's part of the deal. So they don't know. They're like in this total isolation, um, which other reality shows have done. But it's very hard to like put realism in like the like. Um, I think it was our good friend Kino Corner that said, "This is like a month long Stanford prison experiment." But like sixty thousand like terminally online four channers are the prison guards. So it's like, um, yeah, exactly. No name, exactly. No, but I'm more of a Sylvia cell. I'm more of a li listen. Come on, you guys know. Listen, do you even know the geo lore with chubby women? Come on, come on chubby goth women anyways moving on um for <laughs> prude isn't gonna say anything to that um wait no what is the geo lore with chubby goth women do you like do you fly into their dms and coach them into physical health and, um, then, like, and, so, and free them like a bird is that what is that is that how it I, works i i want to take one under my wing um i think like i've i have i've shockingly little women i've ever dm'd actually um, people don't, I've, I've never like legit DM'd apart from my, uh, my gal pals on Twitter, like, you know, uh, but they're, but they're all taken. I hate to say it. Um, it's, 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 it's not looking good. <laughs> oh boy. Um, anyways, let's move on. Let's move on from this. Uh, I could tell by. I can tell by prude silence that this is. I'm, oh, I'm glad I'm, Sandy took the bait for this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it was just hanging up there. I had to, but uh, he changed his avatar back to normal frog instead of like screeching into the void. Uh, in soy Jack, whoa Jack, I don't know. Somebody accused me in the. <laughs> I made the mistake of looking at the comments, and Jizz is like, he's got what boomer entropy. I'm like, I'm 33 years old. <laughs> I'm the same age. I'm the same age Jesus Christ was when he died and the same age Thomas Jefferson was when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. I'm at the peak of my game right now. What have you done with it's your life? <laughs> no, let's not go over that. <laughs> I went to grad school. That's what I did. There you go. Look it's at also this. Pat Casey's birthday. Yeah, this. Oh, yeah. Shout out. Happy birthday to Patrick Casey. Um, He's 30. He's like 34, I think. He's around Christmas. Yeah, see, yeah. I'm I'm never I'm always curious if he's older than me by a couple of months or younger than me by a couple of months. He doesn't look that old. Yeah, he looks way younger than me, I think. Though I, I shaved my beard off and people told tell me I look 25 now, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I probably could see that. I could see that. Um people thought I looked older when I was younger, and I look younger when I'm older. It's really weird. Um Where's the one I wanted to highlight by Spasticus Autisticus? Here he goes. Gifts is not a chubby nor a goth, though. Well, I'm. We'll work. On, we're gonna work on that. We're gonna work on that. Um. Anyways, uh. Let Let's get your first impressions. What did you think of the article, uh, Sandy? I love that nickname, Sandy. Um, well, I mean, I've known, I like, I've, I've known Doctor Gottfried for years. You know, I've really? known of him longer than I've known him. Um, but. The, like the thing, so I kind of knew what he was going to say going into it. 
and it, this is he's done a number of articles like this. This is like the, this particular crew. I can remember Godfrey making this critique of wokeism back before wokeism was a mainstream was a thing. thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Even after used, liberalism, we, we used to call it just cultural Marxism or whatever. And he's always been, and this is a real like like almost widely, you know, the 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 controversy between him and you know james uh that dude that james Lindsay. yeah james Lindsay, who who has a math phd and got famous by uh telling the nashville news that he as a white man felt threatened by the white christians that live around nashville i was i always like to point that out Uh, yeah that's that was like his first like sort of like media (laughs) media debacle so i always like to point that out when i bring up james Lindsay. That like you know, this is a guy that you maybe he's like a famous new atheist. Like if you go to like 2006 to 2009, all of his writings are really focused on that. Yeah, yeah. he was like an adjunct at the University of Tennessee or something. Because I think that's where his PhD's from. I think he's from University of Tennessee, and he, I guess I don't know. I guess the dissertation wasn't going well, and he decided he was going to get his kick somewhat somehow else. So he kicked up a minor media controversy by blaming white men, and now he's over here with us. You know, many such cases. Um, but you know, I didn't, and I'm not really sure. I know he, he, you know, he's got a whole history of, he's got a whole history of wokeism that he's got, but Dr. Gottfried is just making, he's really just making his regular rounds in a lot of in a real sense. This, I think this only got big because somebody decided to like counter signal it because Gottfried has written essentially this exact same article, like more, almost as many times as I can imagine and he's looking at this from a perspective that you would call orthodox marxism okay you know so like the only thing that the the only thing that marxism is to him is economic determinism and class war you know yeah to him anything outside of that you have to start piling on other adjectives there was a couple there were a couple of sections that i you know that i thought were sort of interesting and i i did considerably more preparation than I normally did. But there's a, there's one thing about Dr. Gottfried that I always like to point out with people and you well, know, he, you want me to share, share a screen? We could. Yeah. Put the article up. All right. Yeah. One of y'all. <laughs> Loved ones. No, not that one. No. Where is it? Come on. I can't believe this. Um, we all, I'll have it up. I'll have it up. It's just that sometimes StreamYards doesn't, uh, let me do it. Um, anyways, you were saying? Yeah. I said, there's there are sometimes when Gottfried will talk and he'll give away some things about himself that are that are sort of fascinating that by extension illuminate his own generation of paleocon, you know, or right wing thinkers. And it's it's some yeah, here we go. Here it is. He says Unlike, uh, he says, he's referring to Hazoni. He says he's certainly not trying to divert our attention from the necessary struggle against the woke left. He is offering what seems to be, to me, the most effective argument for assigning a Marxist derivation to woke ideology. But like, listen to that, that, you know, that, that middle sentence there. Or that first sentence, and Hazoni, he's he's not trying to divert our attention from the necessary struggle against the woke left. If you pull woke left out of that and insert any other word, you'll start to notice that Dr. Gottfried sounds a little bit like a Marxist. Like that is like 
you know, the, the word, like if, if you plug that into chat GPT without woke left, they would probably tell you, yeah, you know, the, this word sequence matches Mar Marxist argumentation. So, I mean, you really can't, you, you can't assail his, you know, his, his, uh, his bona fides in the topic. And you really can't for any of these other, you know, any of these other guys that were really, cause Gottfried is another one of these guys, Gottfried, uh, guy that's kind of my mentor, Don Livingston, um, Tom Fleming. Yeah, I don't know. Do you all know who Tom Fleming is? I heard the name. It sounds familiar. So Tom Fleming is the guy that he ran Chronicles before Dr. Gottfried had it. Oh, yeah, like that's a, right. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an Episcopalian. Well, he, you know, whenever I see these guys or whatever, and you know, uh, you all don't know me in person, but the way I dress is kind of crazy. And um, like, these guys were all at Woodstock. Um, I don't know if Dr. Gottfried was at Woodstock, but I know the others who they were at Woodstock. And, you know, uh, Eugene Genovese, the great Southern scholar, is another one of these guys who was the, the members of the Communist Party earlier in life, or they were certainly foundation, you know, certainly well within the spectrum of what we would call the new left. And then in the 1970s, they, they, they turned hard to what they called or, you know, to to what, you know, they refer to as the right. And they've been railing against this specific iteration of, you know, Marxism, communism ever since then. But in a sense, there's an uh, there's a down with alcove A, alcove B forever aspect to a lot of their writing, especially, you know, after they've you know had a couple of brandies or something like that. They'll start to really sound like 1960s new leftists. They have the same, you know, they have problems with the same, you know, the same uh with with the same things that the new left is you know known for having problems for them, you know corporate corporatization modification yeah yeah exactly and you start to get the sense that these guys have never really changed their mind about anything that you know they just got shoved from one excel spreadsheet column into the other um so that's one of the things that i think it's worth looking at but i really actually i had a, a question for the two of you because wokeism you know to me wokeism doesn't seem that complicated uh, but yeah. that might that might be just because well I mean it is complicated but it seems I guess it's because I'm like on like category category five theory cell that you know I've got that I'm aware of a lot of these that you know, a lot of these connections like you know the, the Kurt Lewin um, you know again Wilfred Bion the guy that I've been the guy that I've been on I never hear these guys mentioned in this conversation but when wokeism comes up to me I'm like oh okay it's these guys but you know, wokeism has in the last three or four years it's become this kind of like lightning rod issue where everybody has like lots of takes about what exactly wokeism is and one of the one of the things is they're nearly all bad like I mean like I wouldn't say <laughs> Dr. Gaffrey, yeah. you, have to, you have to let him off the hook here because he doesn't ever attempt to say what wokeism actually is in this article. He only attempts to say what it's not. And so, like, I just had a question for you all. What do you all think wokeism is? I mean, try to try to get it in three sentences. See if you can. Oh, Prude, you go first. Oh, we talked a little <laughs> bit about Patrick Casey's stream with... Uh, Nightmare vision, but you go, you go first. Well, I, I think the other thing to elaborate on before I give a, a definition was that He's thinking. Uh, I am thinking, and that's why I'm I'm spending my time diverting before I can uh, give you a definition in three sentences or less. Uh, but no, he was on Dr. Gottfried was on Pete Quinones shortly after the article came out, and he sort of talked about this, and his argument was that you know Marx wouldn't be giving two shits about 
non-binary rights or transgender bathrooms or uh, this intersectional framework stuff. That was his argument. He just kind of found it laughable that James Lindsay just called him an idiot. And then James Lindsay outed himself for saying uh, that he's never read any of Gottfried's work, which I thought was a pretty damning indictment. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the real controversy here is it's, it's James, James Lindsay, James Lindsay, Lindsay wanders into a room and has James Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. James Lindsay, James Lindsay, James, he, he wanders into yet another room without an opinion. This time he leads <laughs> a PhD, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I would argue uh, to give a definition in three sentences or less, right? That's what that's what we're operating on. Three sentences or less. Yeah, but you could you could go longer. I'm just saying, just don't don't like turn it into a three year dissertation. You know? Oh, absolutely. I don't. I <laughs> I never plan to go back to school. So uh, at least not under this current uh, paradigm. But anyways, uh, I guess you would define wokeism as the praxeology of intersectional and critical theory. Like to yeah, me, that, 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 that yeah, that's that probably the closest thing I could think of. Is this like every bit of trans rights, trans femme, non, like all this fake and gay shit that we all know about? Really, all of this is is a praxeology of Butler and the rest of them. There's my one sentence definition: is it is the political praxeology of critical theory? Is it does, does does Geo have his own, or is he just gonna is he just gonna demur? Oh, I think better up, Geo. <laughs> um policy integration of anti-whiteness i don't know um yeah intersectionality is probably that i i think wokeness uh you have to like you have to like really look at the genealogy of it in terms of like okay listen i hate the first of all before we go on i hate this term wokeness because it's just like overplayed it's a meme it doesn't it's like postmodernism. it doesn't like really mean anything when you like hear normies talk about it but let's call it, I would say it's the vulgarization of certain academic theories combined with like black Twitter lingo. That's basically all it is. I like um, that one a little. Yeah. I think I might like that one a little more in my and I've, I've, I've had 10 What's years to sit around and sit around and think about this. And like Prude asked me, what have you done with your life? And I, I've got the definition of wokeness boiled down to a sentence. And it's the it's the capitalist reification of dissent against capitalism. There you go. Yeah, um, there you go. No, no, no. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. But, you know, you, you talk about the genealogy of it, and uh, there is some truth to, you know, to the idea how Marxism fits into the mix is, you know, one of the, it, it's a, it really it ends up always ends up being a very one dimensional sort of debate whenever you bring up the question is cultural Marxism Marxism or is, you know, or is wokeism actually Marxism? Because in the sense, there's not a way to get this question wrong, okay? Because, like, what really, I mean, there's a very real sense in which you and I are all, all three of us are Marxists, um, where, it's, you know, it, it, as soon as you can find, like, one iota of, like, sort of, you know, dialectical materialism in, you know, somebody's thought, and, you know, all of a sudden they're, you know, open to accusations of Marxism. So, like, you're going to have a hard time finding, like, the the um what is that the great books library the harvard great books library it's got marx in it you know like marx is a marx is in the western canon you know like like, yeah. like like nick land would be like you know nick land is like solemn providence you know marx is in there um well i but also like i think like a lot of people 
I think it was Jeffrey Schollenberger that said this, like people like Zizak or whoever, they'll go back to, it's almost like they have this weird, like reactionary, like return ideology of like Marxism. Like we have to go back to the real roots of Marxism, but it's like, that's itself is sort of like polluted in the world that we live in because there is like, even, I even think like Mark Fisher struck upon this before his untimely sunsetting where you can't really like in a post Althusar world, you can't like take Orthodox Marxism and say that this exactly perfectly applies to like, like a world that's been inhabited by digitalization, for example, like it's never going to like, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a very complicated question. Why Orthodox Marxism doesn't fit nowadays, but I mean, I cut you off, Chris, so you go ahead. Um, oh, no, no, you were you're, you're doing fine. But it's like the thing that, like, where Marxism actually enters into, you know, cultural Marxism for me is it's in a very oblique way. It's not there. It's not not there. But uh, I actually think Pat Casey probably had the best take on that article that I seen. I can't remember the tweet. It was like just a real short tweet that he, you know, and he just talked about how, like, really what we're talking about is ultimately like maybe liberalism like like sucking up some marxism or something like yeah. that and that's really the you know the the proper historical grounding for it uh because whenever you if you really want to find the roots of wokeism you have to go back to the same place everywhere it, it, the same place everything in the 20th century starts which is world war 1 and in w- world war 1 the, the the two important things that happen is that you know, the, the British empire becomes the liberal hegemon. Okay. As a result of its win prior to, you know, prior to world war one, you could make a real serious argument that there are a number of competing liberalisms in the world, you know? Okay. So like the enlightened despotism of the glorious second Reich or whatever, this is definitely on paper. This is a very, the, the, the Prussian regime is a liberal regime. It's a like kind of, dark mirror liberalism but it is one and the you know the french i guess it's the fourth republic this is certainly a distinctly french version of liberalism so you kind of have this archipelago of liberalisms in the you know european 19th century but in 1918 you know anglo liberalism wins though yeah in 1918 anglo liberalism by hook crook or communist revolution uh, gets rid of all of the competition, and from that point on, all liberalism is English. It's all English liberalism. But you know? why? Because but like, but but then, like when you examine the mechanisms of like why British like Anglo-American liberalism won out, I think it has to do probably, and this is where Marx would probably be correct, is that it has to do with a form of economism and this sort of like virtualization of capital that took place at this time because French liberalism and German like ordo liberalism, they were sort of like a bit too parochial for like this totalization of a liberal world order to take place. Now, some people think it was conspiratorial that the British like basically took their child America and helped destroy these other great empires. And then they in turn was destroyed by the hand of, you know, by the hand of liberalism itself. But I think like to examine why British liberalism became like the model the Scottish Enlightenment liberalism, uh, and not oh, like French. Yeah, yeah. It, it, in the co- comments, somebody says the British Empire did not win in 1918. America did, but not Britain. That's true. That's yeah. definitely true. But one, one of the things that did also happen is that there was a massive flight of British elite 
into American families, and that's we, true. Yeah, we sort of like mind melt. And Prude and I actually talked a little bit about this in that open door notes. It was the stuff that Prude was trying to rein me in on. He was like, "Get back on track," and I'm like, and I'm you know I'm trying to talk about the you know Battle of Manila Bay and the German fleet being there watching the whole thing. Um, but yeah, no, that I mean this is this is this definitely true. The British could not be British cannot be considered the winners of World War One, um, but English liberalism in the Landian sense that I'm using it, you know, like uh, the, you know, capitalism is an ethnicity. Um, that's the, that's, that, that's probably, there are some fine distinctions and we'll probably talk about these fine distinctions a little bit, a little bit in the middle because yeah. one of the, one of the real ingredients of wokeism that people never touch except for me is this, this, you know, this, this group that this group that formed this, psychological think tank called the Tavistock Institute and mm. their um their American counterpart uh was a guy it was a guy in American named Kurt Lewin and the differences between the Tavistock Institute and the way Kurt Lewin went about you know conducting his uh, conducting his like his field theory you know experiments that has a lot to do with what the difference between sort of like wokeism is and regular sort of you know just regular sort of technocratic you know, th therapeutic state stuff. The other thing, yeah, the other thing I would like point out with World War One is that, um, and this well, is therapeutic a really states, that's a, point. Wait, go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, just one quick point. Like, I think the therapeutic state stuff that probably is a huge part of wokeism that gets overlooked. But yeah, go ahead about World War One. Sorry. Yeah. The the other thing is this is an aspect that it's in medical literature and it's in a lot of contemporary literature, but we don't really talk about it all that much. Um, and that's the, the, the discovery of this condition called shell shock. It's called shell shock yeah. in World War One, in World War II, it's talked be about combat fatigue, well. and then it's going to be called uh, post-traumatic stress disorder after the Vietnam era. And then tellingly, very tellingly, uh, since Desert Storm, an interpretation of this term that has really begun, it's started to call itself PTSI, which is post-traumatic stress injury. Okay, and this is an important thing for the you know for the rise of like wokeism in, ther in the therapeutic state. And uh, what essentially happens in World War One is that for the first time, especially military doctors and this this, this fledgling uh, science of psychiatry, psychology, you know, Freudian analysis, some Jungian analysis. We, yeah, like, Jung was forced I, to be a field a field psychiatrist at one time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so all of these guys and. Bion in particular, I focus on Bion because I think he's the most important. He's in the he's in the Royal Tank Corps, and the Royal Tank Corps is one of these like because you're in a tin can, and uh, so you are exposed at a higher rate to both combat deaths and to these these shell shock uh, shell shock victims. And it's been, the interesting thing with the shell shock victims is Bion would have been he would have been. Uh, he would have encountered a number of shell shock victims that had no other visible injury on their bodies. They just got like the tank they were in gets hit by a machine gun, machine gun fire or artillery shell at exactly the right angle. And like the shock wave and the noise just causes them to totally dissociate. And I don't know. Have, have either of y'all ever watched videos of shell shock victims in World War One? I, I watched the yeah, oh yeah. film they shot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. terrifying when you look at it. But one of the things that one of the things that this and I, as far as I know, there had never been a situation like this in the past where so many people who were just in 
were produced in such a short time by industrial methods that were just totally dissociated. You know, like they're 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 not they're not actually in the, the person is not inside the body, but the body can continue to function in this very strange way. And in interwar psychology, this was a really riveting concept for these guys. You know, all of these guys that are the, the, like this, the you know, treatment of shell shock is probably the single most important event, medical event you know, in this entire mid-century paradigm of, you know, of, of psychology, psychiatry. And so one of the, the and if you ever read Bion's work, his famous group, his famous work is called In Groups. And we're, we're reading it for reading it with a book club right now. And I'm going through it for the second time. And it, it fascinates me over and over and over how many times he brings up this concept of this dissociative state. And he's, he's, uh, he's always very concerned with like, this idea and he, he'll say for instance he'll say that the reason a society has not the reason a society hasn't sought therapeutic help for its psychological problems is it's not yet psychologically distressed enough to admit that it has a problem and then mm. there's a hard pause and then he extrapolates that a little bit and says this might have some you know this might have some consequences for society at large okay you know and then there's this, this there's this other aspect. So again, we're in World War II now, and as a result of the defeat of all of these other liberalisms, you know, Anglo liberalism in the, the in the English speaking world goes into a serious economic decline directly after World War One. They lag behind the fascist states and the communist states in their you know recovery from the global from the global recession, and the people who you know, in the people who are advocates for Anglo-liberalism, they're kind of looking around and they realize that they're running an ideological system that is essentially a 19th century ideological system, like look, so we're really 18th century. So, you know, British liberalism kind of comes into existence out of the Whig and Tory wars, like, you know, Pitt the Younger. This stuff is all right. This stuff is 200 years old. You know, like this idea that we can't do deficit spending um that you know we have to have the gold in the bank to spend the gold these ideas you know these are two centuries old ideas now and in the countries that they defeated their other competitive liberalisms what grows up in their place are these very newfangled totalizing ideologies you could say communism is an ideology from the 19th century as well but by the time it pings through lenin and you know starts down starts down the stalin path um, it has been fully updated, you know, it's like, it's this is a fully contemporary modern ideological system, you know, and they are, you know, they're kind of leaving the, leaving the English speaking world in the dust. And one of the things that they can, that they're able to do that you aren't able to do as the governor of an English speaking liberal state is essentially rule by fiat. You can't mm. just, you know, you can't like, uh, Austrian painter can wake up in the morning and set the price of the Deutschmark. The British don't really have that ability because they, you know, they have to do things like they have to form, they have to build consensuses around things that even the idea of going to war, you know, everything in a liberal system has to be orchestrated to look like it's become the consensus because it isn't fact. It's exactly. Very it's a very, it's very fragile much, political system. It's very much like the propendency of, um, it's very much like the propensity of order. It's like the suggestion of it. It's leading from behind. 
Uh, that was that one book by Francois Julian about it. Um, it's very like in a way like the orchestration of it. Like I, like I remember writing this. Um, I was going to write this for M seventeen seventy six about conspiracy theories about how like liberal modern modernity is like the only time where you can have like genuine conspiracy theory proliferate because of the nature of power having to just being like sort of having to conceal itself. And the revealing happens over like a slow denu you know, denatured process over time rather than most societies operating uh, off of like consensus or off of like authoritarian rule. Like a lot, like the conspiracy theorists to say, well, you know, there's always been secret societies. And yes, that's true. But these secret societies were known as being like a sort of externalization of hierarchy and a sort of ritualism. Whereas like nowadays, you know, secret societies um, in some ways are a part of the same orchestration of power in a different way. But that's, I mean, that's another point, but yeah, go on, Chris. And then I want to no, get, no, no, no. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Prude's last. He's been pretty silent. silent this stream. <laughs> He's watching Fish Tank. Prude's watching Fish Tank. Yeah. He saw uh, that Tim no. Hyde came on. No. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. I did find Pat Casey's tweet though on on this issue. Uh, he had said that cultural Marxism and liberal democracy contrasted with bourgeois liberalism melted together into what we call wokeness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but that's like that's what Gottfried said though. That's like um. Like, like there was a jump-off point between bourgeois liberalism, which largely was very parochial to, towards, like, European and the North American civilization. And then uh, now we have, like, sort of this internationalist liberalism, which is yeah. quite different. Um, yeah. Well, what, Actually, we're do, a, what we're doing is we're looking for the locus of the disjunction here. So, like, what exactly is the disagreement between Gottfried and apparently the rest of the right wing? Right. And... And it, and it, it, so I mean, there's nothing that Gottfried says that's wrong here. You know, I wanted from, to go to the know, culture reading, thing eventually, but yeah, go ahead, Chris. Right? Yeah, there's not, there's nothing he says that's totally wrong here. But the thing that I've never seen anybody nail down exactly is what is actually the nature. Like a lot of times, and like people in the chat are doing this, and they're saying, "Well, is this is the you know the Marxist reformulation of you know the, we, we we take Gramsci and now all of a sudden instead of a proletariat revolution we place the white Christian male in the, in the locus of the bourgeoisie and the revolution is now against them. It's not actually that simple. Uh, the Marxism is not actually that, you know, that apparent. So again, back to 1945 or so, in fact, mm. really 1939 or so, um, we have this British state that's gearing up to go to war. They've just done a, they've just orchestrated a small coup against their Nazi sympathetic King. Um, the British government in 1939 is weaker than it ever has been before. Uh, it is uh, it is less able to build consensus than it ever has been before. And it has, you know, the two largest armies in the world on its doorstep, you know, threatening war of some kind with one another or both with, you know, or both with the United or both with the United Kingdoms. And they decide they have to do something about this. And so they really set about this idea so very quickly what they decide they need to do is they need to beef up their governing ideology somehow. And if we can't do this with open authoritarianism, we can't do this with open authoritarianism. We can't build the like ideological scaffolding with the trunk of the tree inside the thing. Okay. You know, it has well, to be. Well, they did eventually the though. You could argue they did eventually. But... Right. Initially, initially they just, they, because to get people on board with this, they have to come up with this system that 
mimics these sort of fascist or communist or fascist or communist systems. They need they need a way to get a lot of people moving in one direction without what Carl Schmidt would call the discussion. He, yeah. you know, he, pejor- he pejoratively talks about the Anglosphere as being governed by discussion instead of by politics. So we have to come up with a way to kind of spoof politics in this system to get consensus for war, you know, among the British people. And one of the things that they decide to do is empower this group of psychiatrists called the Tavistock. They've got this, they've got this place called the Tavistock Clinic and Tavistock's a very nice part of England. I mean, these are upper class people. They would have been very, they would have been very close proximity to government ministers anyway. So it's not such a coup that they managed to get funding, but you know, Tavistock, they're, the thing they're most famous for is the foundation of this of, of this field called group dynamics, which is, and this is exactly where the Marxism ends, enters. Okay, so these people are Marxist in the sense that they conceive they conceive of psychology or you know psychiatry, psychoanalysis, rather than being a relationship between a therapist and an individual. They see as the you know the unit of analysis in psychiatry is going to be first of all the individual's relationship to a group and well it's gestalt psychology really that's what it is right right exactly and 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 a and groups relationships with other groups so these are the two things that they're which is the same rhetoric that woke tards use nowadays about social psychology that they learn in university courses like intro 101 about i want to see how the social impact affects the psychology of trans people blah 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 like that's the same rhetoric nowadays right is being like sort of popularized through tiktok and before that with tumblr um it's become kitchified in a way but yeah sorry go ahead no, no, that's I mean, that's exactly right. Because eventually we're, we're th- thundering down the path to that's essentially what wokeism is it's this it's you can even go look at you know you can go look at uh group relations, you know, journals or whatever, you know, like you know, they, they've got Tavistock still has one. It's called human relations. If you look at what they're talking about, it eerily mirrors, um, you know, internet discourse. Like so these, these people, like these Tavistock people, they're still around and they're monitoring the way internet discourse works because they're, they're very interested in, you know, if, if like Twitter, Twitter in particular looks almost like it was designed by the Tavistock Institute. I was blown oh, away. God. I've been, re- I've been reading these people for over a year now. And when the Twitter algorithm was published the other day, I had a jaw dropping moment because it punishes, you know, like, did you, did you all see that? Like the, 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 the modifiers for your tweet boost. If you oh, go yeah. out of, if you go out of network, the only thing that they punted, the only thing the Twitter algorithm punishes more than going out of network is um misspelling a word which i was like i'm <laughs> based but the, the i do the, i oh, did that for opsec for years but yeah right yeah like the, there's reasons to do it but twitter it it you know it presents itself as this totally open space where you can go talk to anybody or anything like that of course we know we, we know we have shadow bands and now as a result of this we know that in this giant open space we are in fact divided up into smaller networks by you know, are, by, yeah. you know, algorithm yeah. algorithm and probability Thousand we've been islands. assorted yeah we've been assorted into different groups that are punished for interacting with one another or you know that were de-boosted for interacting with one another 
And I'm like, well, why is that? You know, and you, you, you have the, there are all sorts of arguments you could put forth. Well, we don't want the Nazis to make the communists feel unsafe, so on and so forth. And this is, this is, this is, you know, this is foundational. Fans. I just try to avoid it, that on stream, but yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's foundational group dynamics and where Marx actually enters the equation. He actually enters the equation a couple of times. The first place and the most important place he enters the equation is this idea that all of society is they look at Marx and they say class relations, class struggle. Yeah, that's 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 definitely the engine of history, but that's a little outdated. These groups can move around. Okay, so this bourgeoisie class, it's not monochromatic in its own right. It has, you know, if you if you were to if you were to slice open bourgeoisie a lot of smaller bourgeoisies would come out and they all yeah. exist. And if you were to slice that one open, even smaller ones come out. So these groups are all in, you know, in fundamental relationship with one another and the ideal boundaries between them are actually very difficult to determine until you get to a point where you can start, you know, using algorithmic functions to actually, you know, quantify and separate them. So in the early days, they didn't, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have the ability to deboost your tweets or anything like that. They had to, you know, had to be a little bit more, you know, to be a little bit more mechanistic about it or a little more, a little more tactile and mechanical about it. But the, you know, the way Marx enters into wokeness initially is through these psychi is through these psychiatrists. And it's Marx's idea that the individual relatively unimportant, um, you know, the, the, the individual as a group, as a unit of analysis is kind of bunk. That's like, that's garbage old liberal shit. It's yeah. all about, it's all about class relations. That's the first place Marx really, you know, it really enters into the equation. Um, I'll pause and let y'all respond. I want to hear from Prude. Yeah, you, Prude, you were arguing with someone in the chat about America and Britain. Uh, yes, I was arguing with an Australian, and I think this was in reference to the open door discussion that uh, Sam Batch and I had a few weeks ago. But anyways, no, to stay on topic, uh, I, I think... What's the this open door discussion? The open door policy from like the turn of the century, which you can tune in oh. on my channel to see that. But anyways, yeah. um, please uh, be sure to like and subscribe. Yes, by all means. But anyways, no, to stay on topic, because I'm not going to let chat bother me today. Uh, the point in his essay that I heard this little piece that he had written, I, I thought was really important. And it's these last it's like the the last four paragraphs, but especially the like the first two here after he quotes the at some point in the last 20 years. But he says, in the seventh chapter of conservatism or rediscovery, Hazoni highlights the replacement of post-World War II liberalism with by woke collectivism. Such a changing of the guard is seen in the abandonment of the principle of open discussion and even disagreement in favor of group cohesion. Uh, we also find self-identified liberals expressing horror at the closing of open discussion by others on the left. This closed-mindedness has caused those who cling to a liberal identity to protest woke cohesiveness and call to a return to free society. Hazoni's observations is accurate but may require a qualification. The liberalism that the woke left canceled was greatly weakened. Uh, was a great, greatly weakened form of liberal persuasion. The exponents of which had already ceased to argue very convincingly for open discussion for decades. That attenuated liberalism excluded the right, except for a moderate centrist version, um, which would not upset leftist gatekeepers. The parameters of allowable discussion on many issues had become more and more restricted before a late modern form of liberalism gave up the ghost entirely. I love that use of old English phrase of gave up the ghost. No one uses that anymore, except in a few mm. Bible translations. Um, by then, universities had already begun ideologically controlled, while both government and media had prepared its way for this post-liberal age. This is literally straight out of after liberalism in 1999. Yeah. Like, this is nothing new. Um, yeah, the I discussion, mean, if you, write, if, if you write the book, you may as well just copy-pasta yourself. Uh, yeah, right. You might as well make it easier for yourself, because no one else has read your 
fucking work anyway, which is really depressing. Especially literally the the <laughs> only reason I have a blog is to save my effort post. <laughs> <laughs> but so the point that I think that maybe gets lost in the weeds where they're saying yes, it is Marxism or it's not liberalism, it's Marxism is this. Uh, and I'm going to throw in Rizard Legutko's book, The Demon and Democracy, because oh, yeah. he's this Polish resistance guy. He's an MEP for Poland, or he was. I don't know if he is anymore. He wrote this book in like 2012. And his argument was like the reason why so many Marxists and communists and people of like the, you know, ancien USSR <laughs> regime don't didn't face any justice or you know didn't face the wall. And in fact, they found themselves working in social democratic parties is because you know the the goal of what we would consider a liberal society is not too far off from what you know the marxist leninist interpretation was the goal of society either and you combine that perfectly in a point in time where liberalism is sort of shut off the dialectic and they've shut off where people can discuss things then yeah it makes it incredibly easy to have a wokeism's authoritarian liberalism really well, yeah, because there's no discussion. But I mean, that liberalism was already set up for the way that there was. I mean, post-World War II liberalism ensured that certain discussions were never going to be had again. Oh, yeah, even um, about World War II itself. Well, yeah, right, because we had, the, the, we had won. We had, um, you know, we had deprogrammed a country, essentially, by... Uh, and again, destroyed their history and their past and their Le, Le Goodco talks about this. And I know God, Dr. Gottfried has in a few other places, but I mean, where did all of these like great psychology guys get their start? Uh, it came in trying to deprogram uh, post-World War II Germany. Even young, by the way, even and young. young grad school. They, all went to, yeah. they, they went to grad school. Like <laughs> yeah. The rest of it. All, exactly. You know? <laughs> well, no, yeah. But yeah, me too. So um, the, the observation yeah, isn't that, you know, the last 20 years of very ideal in discussion. I mean, I would say it's really the last 60 or 70 years of discussion. I mean, it, yeah. it's funny that we talk about 420 because also Enoch Powell gave Rivers a blood speech this year. Or in, Apparently in the, this, Trudeau this well. Sr. was also uh, elected in 1968. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to Hudson for pointing that out because I don't know anything. So about many Canadian things politics. happen today. It's but the most there, important day in the history of the world. There's a future Austrian painter that was probably born in this day. Uh, day long, that, yeah. Now that's wild. A future Austrian painter. That's he's probably browsing. Cool. He's probably watching Fish Tank right now. Yeah. Um. No. But, um, probably writing about his struggle on stream. Who knows? <laughs> so I, I I think that so much of this uh, debate over this article, which had caused a lot of shit, was just that what I, I think that. Pat Casey's take was correct that wokeism is this nice meld between bourgeois, right. you know, liberalism of the American Anglo format, um, melding its way to, you know, make a monetized form of rebelling against think, the system. But also like it's a post-civilization ideology. It's a really, a, it's a post, a post-humanist ideology in the sense of it. It's post-national. It's post-national. Yeah. In the sense of it coming from a largely like European, uh, north american consciousness but also in negation of that north american european consciousness yeah so now that's that's where the frankfurt school comes in you know that's, but that, that's, but here i don't that, believe i don't really buy it though i i'm sorry I'm, I'm i'm sorry i'm sorry to like fool tide and all those people i don't buy it because i don't think the frankfurt school was nearly as influential as like rousseau and other play in other people again, in the it, Western. again it's 
it's one of these things. It's there, but it's not. I'm more there. Godfrey there again. I'm I'm like a theory solid Godfrey. I I am I almost kind of like a new. I'm not a new lepers. Well, maybe maybe. I mean, but, I'll say it. I mean, I am. I like Theodore Adorno. Negative dialectics, one of my favorite theory cell. Yeah, books man. Ever. Okay, you know, Earth, like I'm, aesthetic theory, bro. Um, there's the, my my priors out of totally out in the open. You know, Grateful Dead intensifies in the background now, but the, yeah, um, yeah. But there is a connection with the Frankfurt School. It's just not the connection that people want to make out of it. Um, Gottfried knows this because Gottfried studied. Like, there is some validity to the Frankfurt. I'm not. I don't mean to like. There is some validity, but yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, well, real, real quick, let me go back because I, I made a I, I made a comment about the difference between Kurt Lewin, the, the American method of doing this sort of thing, and the British method. Uh, yeah, yeah, go. You were gonna get into that. Yeah, I'm curious. Let me about that. Let, let me texture that real quick. So the Tavistock method formally, and the way the Tavistock method formally starts out with this idea that the individual himself is a giant injury. Okay, he's yeah. just he's a bundle of he's a bundle of essentially brain injuries. Okay, and the only way he can find meaning in himself, the only way he can find any meaning in the world is through participation in groups. But since no one seeks psychological treatment, no one seeks to remedy their psychological ills until it's too late, we kind of have to do things. We have to come up with ways to force them into this intermediate group that are referred to as basic assumption groups. Okay, and. In the early experiments, I wrote a blog post about this, the Northfield experiment. Bion was able to, Wilfred Bion, he was running a military training wing during the war. And he was able to do this by take the, taking these shell shock patients and forcing them to join activity groups. You know, uh, and this is very interesting. He does. He's got this rule where all of the inmates, all of the, excuse me, all the subject, test subjects, all the patients, they have to join one activity group. It could be chess. It could be calisthenics. And if if there's not one that exists that they want, they can join their own. You know, they can form their own. And now they're the, quote, leader of that group. And he's very interested in the people who choose to become leaders, you know, and that's going to become one of his basic, you know, one of his basic assumption groups is, you know, these, these, these people that either want to be or they congeal around these kind of these unitary individuals and mark them as their leader. Okay. But the, the basic assumption groups, the second stage in this three-stage process, the ultimate goal is to work your way out into what is referred to as the working group, which is the larger, the set of groups. You know, we were talking about how you can slice these groups open and find smaller groups inside and smaller groups inside the idealized boundary of our system is this group of people who are bound by the fact that they are attempting to accomplish some task. And this is irrespective of whether or not they know what the task they're attempting to complete is. They're, you know, they're, we're all participating, you know, the, the, you know, the third cog does not ask why the fourth cog turns, you know, it only knows there is a goal. So he's able to force these groups you know, essentially through this very regimented military, you know, military environment. And the working group in this sense is you achieve a level, like the goal of the working group in this sense is you achieve a level of military efficiency that deems you capable to return to your unit and, you know, kick some more Nazi ass. Um, That's, you know, it's a pretty simple schema. But after the war, when uh, Bion continues to do this research, he runs into this problem again where we don't necessarily have a militarized society now. You can't rule, you can't rule by fiat the same way you could in the middle of the war. 
Okay. Yeah. So you have to come up, you have to come up with these other little tricks to kind of convince people that they're actually interested, you know? So you have to, you know, you have to kind of trick people. And the Tavistock method is very insistent on this point that anyone who wants to engage in this process has to come to it voluntarily. Like, so like all of his test subject groups, these are just people that live. Like psychoanalysis as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's exactly what it is. And he, you know, he reemphasizes this over and over and over again. And to this day, you can go back. Whenever I wrote this article, I had a guy somewhere in Australia. He was, uh, he was attending a leadership conference and it was based on the work of Wilfred Bion. He was telling me, he was like, I didn't think I'd ever see somebody write about this, but that's exactly what happened. They stressed over and over voluntary participation. And you'll see some of that in like, uh, you know, those uh, diversity and inclusion in the workplace, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. You'll, you'll, you'll see it's voluntary a aspects. social media as well. That's like, the yeah. Whole model. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'll see voluntary aspects of this creep in, but Kurt Lewin is an American and Kurt Lewin, he's, a, he's actually, he's the chairman of the Tavistock clinic before the war in 1932 and 1933, but he's got what's called a, his, is his, he's sort of tangential and he works alongside Tavistock, but there are some differences and he is considerably less concerned about the voluntary aspect of this. So he's yeah. he's he's considerably more okay with running massive psyops in perpetuity on the population to get them to assort themselves into you well, know. Well, the OSS at the time was doing this, like not to go all camp off, but like it's not to go like a wideness cell, but it's true. Jolly the West, OSS, say it, just say yeah, it, Jolly West. Jolly West, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> No, but they were running like these social experimentations in prisons. Like the one in Philadelphia was like a house of horrors for different like psychological exp- and even physical experimentation. Um, right. Yeah. And that's but- the main difference. That's the main difference between these groups. So the, the group in America that is most known for this is at Stanford University also still exists. Yeah. It's the Center for the, the Center for the Advanced Study of Behavior. By the way, it's <laughs> funny. Who, who's the guy that did the prison experiment? What's his name? Z- Zavago? Uh, not Dr. Zavago. Um, yeah. Just Zimbardo. He's like a woke tart. He's like a male feminist now. <laughs> like, so I wonder right. why. Um, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like all, these, all, these start, yeah. all these things start clicking into place a little bit. But okay. So the tab, the in America, these groups are considered, this has a lot more, this is, this has some valence with the fandom thing. So this is, I mean, yeah. this is really actually is, this is the, you know, this is kind of the early formation of fandoms. We're going to get you and default friend in the same room together. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. We've actually we've actually done this before. She's she was vaguely interested, but I don't think she ever followed up on it. And um, the the um, this is the like she'll tell you that fan studies begins in like 1991, 1992, something like that. And really, there's a much deeper history that it's not it doesn't refer to itself as fan studies or anything like that. And people will also try to blend these two in together and they'll try to say fandom is an ideology and you know, of like fandom is ideology, ideology is fandom. These are distinct yeah. things. And like, like why one of am I a Maple Leafs fan? Tonight they're playing the Tampa Bay again and they're going to hopefully they don't bomb again. It's like, right. why, well, why do I take, keep taking punishment as a Maple Leafs fan? It's like, well, why? <laughs> the, the frame people will generally use is ideology is fandom. But if you flip it around and say fandom is ideology, then it's a little bit, you know, it's a, you, you yeah. get a little bit closer to the truth. Because if you remember what I said, wokeism is capitalist re- is the capitalist reification of dissent against capitalism okay so in this sense ideological fandoms are 
depoliticize fandoms. So think BreadTube. Think like you know yeah. communists on the communists on the internet with their you know their misfits t-shirts and this sort of thing. They 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 buy they you know they spend three hundred dollars on a Mosin Nagant rifle. Uh, they get a misfits t-shirt. You know, grow white dreadlocks and they go join that North Carolina professor and you know they I guess, take HRT. Yeah, shoot watermelons in the woods or something like that, and they, you know, it's all it's all the workers' revolution or some. She's like, you're an agitator. I wonder, does HRT affect your aim, though? I wonder. I, you know, I don't know about that. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> wait, where were we? Oh, oh, Frankfurt School. Yeah, Frankfurt School. The way the Frankfurt School comes is Frankfurt School. They are they're mixed in with all of these people. You know, they know all of these people is through this kind of web or network of researchers that are forming what is going to be really referred to as a formal paradigm you know kuhn is one of these people these early cybernetics researchers this Wait, other thomas kuhn is like connected to this as well yeah 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 oh yeah absolutely God. through these like these things like the mate these macy conferences that they have where you know they take these these intellectuals these professors these you know these you know interesting people in communication studies and psychoanalysis and group studies and, you know, military organ, you know, business schools, management theory, they mix them all together. And there's early, you know, early artificial intelligence researchers like my boy, Marvin Minsky. He's, he's another one of these. So we're really, you know, dealing with this kind of like, like, you know, thick cloud of theorists who are all considerably better networked with one another than it might, than, it, you know, frequently initially seems. And the Frankfurt school are, you know, they're in this group. Okay. So, you know, they're, yeah. and they're yeah. but they're, they're, they're idiot, the ideological, the negative dialectics, I hesitate to use ideology, the negative dialectics of, you know, this situation are not, are, are not as influential in this, in this system as you know, people would generally like to think the way the, and again, Gottfried know Gottfried might know he probably knows this. He's a little young, I think, to have participated this early, but I know he studied under Herbert Marcuse. Okay, and he the way the Frankfurt School is interesting here is that the Frankfurt School conducted specifically Marcuse and Adorno conducted a seminar at UCLA. It was a semester at UCLA. And one of my, another one of my mentors was in attendance for it. So this is the reason I know about it. It's a pretty obscure program. Um, it was called the German semester, where uh, essentially they took UCLA took talented college did talented college kids from all over the country that knew something about Germany because you know back in the, we we used to have in the United we, United States we used to have a lot more people that knew German than we do now. Thank you, Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. But um, the the. Um, so they bring all these people to speak German in together. And really all they do is they just hold like Institute for Social Research style seminars with Marcusa and Adorno. And they, you know, it's kind of it's kind of far out to think of these, you know, these two old personally in their personal dispositions, incredibly old world conservative Jewish dudes hanging out in Burbank, you know, uh, having these like fine dining seminars with these with these, you know, with these college kids. But they are. And what they're. They're actually the connection between Marcuse and the CIA is this exact same connection. What they're actually doing is talent scouting for the CIA because they have, you know, like the CIA has has discovered that this, you know, these this concept of negative dialectics that is a that, that is this is the book Adorno's working on at the time. And, you know, this culture industry, this yeah. this tend this tendency in the Frankfurt School's thought to sort of evaporate meaningful frameworks for everything 
they recognize the corrosive, incredibly destructive power that it has. And so they use this, they use this German semester to at the same time scout for talent that could potentially be thrown into East Germany behind the Iron Curtain and operate as CIA agents. But they also instill them with some of these thought processes that they believe ultimately will be paralyzing for international leftism. Like if we just, we get these, we get these leftists, we get these communists navel gazing relentlessly and they won't have time to do any kind of workers revolution or anything like that. That's the connection with the Frankfurt school. It's really, it's about as much as it is, but then there's also this aspect that the Frankfurt school is, uh, they're, the message of negative dialectics, the famous quote in negative dialectics is, you know, what can, well, you know, what can oppose the decline of the West? And he's deliberately name calling Spangler here, deliberately mm-hmm. name calling Spangler. What can oppose the decline of the West is not, a, is not a restored Western civilization, but it's like the silent utopia contained in the image of its decline. Theodore Dordo's whole point is that Western civilization, the dialectics have been complete. The dialectics are no longer in motion. Western civilization has come to its end stage and this is what it got us it got us Auschwitz you know that's 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 his you know that's that's his that's his underlying thesis it's like, so this western civilization thing uh we're over it you know and so yeah. like it is it's, it's very, all it's, over yeah it, it, it it's post-humanist and it's very much post-civilizational uh you know you just okay you'll see these people that like you know they're into like uh, donna haraway and all like that ashley oh, colby yeah. woman you know she's in that rhizomatic new age hippie shit you know, like these oh, are, she like, probably like, she probably read the the animal the animality book by Haraway. You know, yeah, that I, type I, of read stuff. I read yeah, it. I read it. Yeah, I had to read it for grad school. It was not. I I, I much prefer cyborg feminism than that one. Right. Yeah. I, Donna Haraway cropped up on my radar when I was writing. This was the first academic article I ever wrote. Actually, was, I was trying to explain how red foxes appeared in South Carolina. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. Oh my but, god. Well, one. Maybe we got to bring you on content minded. We could uh, spurg about this stuff. Yeah, but anyways, to get back to the not... article about cultural Marxism, how how does this? I think like, but then how does it come to like nowadays where the left is being like I would say utilized, instrumentalized, and empowered rather than the right wing? Like, how did that switch jump off from we need to denude the left, and now we have to like radicalize them and make them more like giga chatted, for lack of a better term, than any than. And than ever before. And actually the right wing becomes like this amalgamation of like Spurgs on the internet or gladio nationalists that are going to go and like pretend that you very much like the Russians. This is very much like if you're familiar with leftist discourse in the eighties, which I would point Mm. out, this is when, this is when Curtis Yarvin is at Brown. And this is when, this is when Nick Land is at the university of Warwick. Okay. Right, uh, right, right, right. Yeah. Leftism in the eighties disintegrates. Okay, as, you know, as we look at it in the United States, this is the Reagan years. This is the Reagan and the Thatcher years. So, so this is like the the like this is neoliberalism. Leftists, yeah, leftists are still ass hurt about you know the, about you know Margaret Thatcher and and Ronald Reagan. And this is because the in the eighties leftism suffered a sort of catabolic collapse of purpose. This coincides roughly with. There's two things that are interesting here. And you can go Google Ngram this. Like, go Google Ngram the word corporate culture, which, of course, is, is, is yeah. actually it's a, Tavistock, it's a Tavistock coinage. Uh, it, I, it asymptotically moves upward in 1981, same year Ronald Reagan is sort of elected. Um, and the same around the same time, something called the cultural turn occurs in the humanities. And so this is the cultural turn in the humanities. Academic agent probably 
could probably spurg about this quite a bit. But the cultural turn is in, in literary studies, it's the turn toward turn away from like sort of like new critical readings of literature into something called new historicism in yeah. history. In history, it's the move away from cliodynamics into like, which is like hardcore spreadsheet econometric history, the kind of thing that Eugene Genovese and Paul Gottfried would both recognize as Marxism. Okay, there's a, you know, as a, as a result of this influx, and it's kind of weird, post-structuralism and structuralism arrive in America around the same time. So there's, it's easy to get them all tangled up with one another. But these, the, yeah, these post-structuralists, the, 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 you know, the, the, the post-structuralist wing of this movement is very inundated with Adorno and also oh, that with 1980 right there. That's a jump off. Holy crap. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And this is almost exactly the moment when all those red diaper babies, you know, they wake up from their 10 year cocaine binge in the 1970s and they decide they're going to yeah. get jobs doing things like professor of early childhood education. Red diaper doper babies as uh, Michael Savage called them. Yeah. And then you have like right. uh, Horowitz who wrote that book, radical son about being one of them, David Horowitz. Right. Yeah. Right. And this is the, the, what, the what happened to of, him? What happened to Horowitz? What happened? Oh shoot! I, there's so many Horowitzes though. I don't know. Yeah, true. <laughs> they, they all blend together. <laughs> but <laughs> the the influence of this Gramscian, this these Gramscian and these Frankfurt School ideas ultimately evaporate any sort of political energy. So like in night late 1970s, Maoism is a you know there's Maoist street terrorism in the United States. The academies yeah. are all infected. The academies are infected with people who are like literally like Kate like, Ashbury, you know, yes, yeah, standing Pol Pot, which is kind of based, but they're stand they're standing <laughs> all of these like Latin American revolutionaries. Leftism is actually dangerous. Okay, if, it's you know, becoming like, so third worldist as well, like with those yeah. standing of like revolutionaries, and then what right. happened like. Like, you know, I mean, and it is like a wide cell take now about like, oh, my CIA in my third in, in my South America propping up fascism, blah, blah, blah. Like that's you so know. I mean, the, the the left sort of catabolically collapses at the exact moment when people like Nick Land and Curtis Yarvin are like kind of coming of age. The seeds and of reaction are, are starting in the Internet age before. The right, exactly. Age. And so if you go back and you look at the early unqualified reservations and I'm not casting shade at this, you know, like I like I've like met Curtis Yarvin. He's a wonderful person. You know, I, I enjoy his, I enjoy his reading. You know, I enjoy his writing people. I enjoy his writing so much. People tell me that I've been influenced by him, but you know, I don't, I don't know if that's true, but you know, I'm not casting shade at any of these people. Whenever I say they are essentially re in a lot of ways, they're reskinning uh late eighties leftist concepts that you oh, know, yeah. were, it were in a lot of ways. They, they, they Countercurrents did this as well. Countercurrents right. did this as well back right. in the day. It, yeah, it causes a lot of navel gazing. So the, the thing with the right and like why is the right seem why does the right seem so stunted right now and the left seems like it's constantly winning? The left has mostly what we refer to as the leftist, and this is Gaffrey again. It's almost totally abandoned leftism. So like it's got this like scan of leftism. But anybody who's been in grad school in the last ten years or so, you tell there's no Marxist professors. Like the Marxist professors are the Gaffreys of the world. Like whenever you say a bad they word, vote, they vote for the Democrats now. Yeah. Well, the yeah. well, the, the like I got through college and grad school because a Marxist covered for me. He was like, you know, he's like, you know, he's like, uh, you know, uh, I don't think you should be using those words, but you know, like uh, the ideas you express are open and valid. So you know, he, he would go, he would always go to bat for me whenever I would whenever I would cross the line. The Marxist, like, really in line with the way Gottfried's talking about it, the, the orthodox Marxists in the university systems, they. Uh, you know they're they're mostly gone, and what's left is this kind of neoliberal synthesis. Yes, where every, 
everything is governed by these this you know corporate Memphis aesthetic, this corporate yeah, exactly, culture. But that's the basis of my book on Neil Rook Kitchen writing right now. It's good you brought. Oh, is it really? So, yeah, hundred yeah. yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. You're 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 my favorite theory cell. There's there's, there's oh, a oh, thank you, my God. <laughs> I I can't wait for you to buy my book. It's gonna be it's gonna be a trip. I'm I'm writing. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm writing about furries and uh, Bataille. Oh my, um, oh my god! I love I love George Bataille. He's yeah. that's, that's a guilty guilty pleasure of mine. But anyway, Anyways, let's. I want to get prude on this because he hasn't. It's he it's hasn't perfectly fine. I'll let you two rant. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> I want to hear because I want to go back to what what uh, Antioch O'Reilly said about the economism of wokeism versus Marxism. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Sam Batch. Then we'll. Christopher Sands. No, I was, just, yeah, I was just, just, just gonna say that. I mean, I think sort of what's happened is that the the right is kind of caught in this kind of identity navel gazing. So, like people who are just terribly concerned about you know the lexicological genealogy. I saw somebody this morning use the phrase cultural liberalism. Okay, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. that, that is like that's garden variety, like new, like '80s leftist, like absolute entropy of discussion. Like, how long did you, yeah. how long did you waste your time? How many heartbeats did you waste deciding <laughs> that cult, cultural liberalism? Is, it's, it's like that tech bro meme. It's like, guys, I got an idea. We could do podcast IRL. You know, it's like, it's yeah, like, well, yeah. there's In a word. There's people. A, yeah, there's, there's a word that exists for this. It's called capitalism. That's what cultural liberalism is. Come on, you know? yeah, <laughs> exactly. Cultural capitalism. Just, someone said before. I remember. We're just about ten years behind. You know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna like catch our wheels. We're gonna spin in this. We're gonna spin in this ditch for a while. Then we're gonna, and then like Nick Land says, Nick Land he did, did a thread on this. You know, yesterday. When he's talking about how like all of the illiberal gains in the history of the world have been rolled back. And Nick Landy also says that you know capitalism is an ethnicity. The only rational path forward is to tweak capitalism for survival. You know, um, that's it's that's the that's what the left has embraced, that exact mantra yeah. that you know, okay, so the, we have to we, the we accelerative have to engine of capital is like on their side now. Yeah. Right. And so like, we might come out of it. We might all die. We either come out of it or we all die. That, that's, you know, that's kind of my take, but that's, no, but that's, then, that's like, the reason I think this is happening. Exactly. But then what are the other people that talk about like cultural Marxism and like, like, I mean, people like James Lindsay, I think automatically should be discredited with the whole like postmodern Marxism crap. I mean, crack open some Frederick Jameson for God's sake. Um, but yeah, Prude, go ahead, man. I mean, you've been waiting for a long time. Me and me and Sam Batch have been, I don't have much to add, uh, actually, in, in this. Well, you wanted to talk, like, how about, give me your take on, um, in this interwar period, uh, like, why is it that, like, if it was true Marxism, would not the economics of it not make sense when it comes to, like, pure wokeism? Like, why is it that wokeism and, like, like, it's a creature of neoliberalism more than anything? And some people say that neoliberalism doesn't exist. That's not a thing. I know that's, like, um... That's like the Martin and Bap take, but like I wonder. I mean, I I think that neoliberalism is a thing. I, you know, I don't know that don't it know. exists as a standalone thing, but as a as a conversational heuristic, yeah, it, it's definitely yeah. Because look, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. liberalism was on its way out in the nineteen in the nineteen seventies. You know, in both the United States and in 
the Anglosphere, I mean, in the Anglosphere more broadly. So you have the, you know, British pound collapses. You have the Harold Wilson years. Uh, Myths of the 20th century has great podcasts about the labor, labor strikes in Britain that bring down the second Harold Wilson government in the United States. This is the 1970s are the decade that the Soviet Union briefly surpasses us in trade surplus. This is the, you know, the, this is the decade of gas crises of rapid yeah. unemployment. And this is, you know, like president Ford has to say this is gritty and realist. About. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, the ladies and gentlemen, the Bronx is burning to quote Howard Cosell. So like there, you know, like liberalism looks like it's on its way out. And then these, this twin shot of, you know, of, of Reagan and Thatcher, and the soviets also like shitting the bed yeah right exactly yeah Yeah. and you know the soviets like they're you know ways to frame glasnost and perestroika like you know new openness they're ways to frame that in terms it's almost kind of a liberal turn for them as well yeah um and they they just don't survive it because like the chances i think the chances a great west wing episode about this the chances of the chances of an illiberal country surviving the transition into a liberal democracy are very small like this is a surgery that you perform as a last resort, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Prudy, have anything to add? On what? <laughs> no, no, no. There's a lot there, but this is um, uh, no, I, I, I don't have anything to add. Um, what about your impressions of the article? We didn't get to that. Uh, I, I mean, really, the article. I've read a lot of Dr. Gottfried. So to me, this felt like the first three chapters of after liberalism, except updated for 2023 current era politics. Uh, and what, what always astounds me is, is that when we, we talk about Marxism and I, and this is not to insult uh, fellow travelers or their work or whatever, but it's just, what does Gottfried spend the first chapter on after liberalism discussing? He discusses the history of liberalism and the terminology of it and how yeah. it has evolved from, you know, say the understanding of like Whiggish liberalism in the 1830s to, you know, 1970s history of liberalism and what that means, or even, um, you know, Von Mises calling himself a liberal in some respects. And so like there's an evolution of the term and an evolution of how practical political liberalism, at least in the Anglo-American tradition, evolves. And no one bothers to stop for a second that perhaps that if this thing has evolved, right? If we were to take this from, I, I'm going to treat it like an organism. So we're, we'll, we'll talk evolutionary biology for a yeah. second. Um, if we're going to view it, this form of ideology or this praxeology of how to govern with a set of ideals, if it can evolve, I mean, would you not suspect that in a ecosystem of ideology, of, of political matters, that this isn't going to try and fight its way out for survival? And that people aren't going to opt under these sort of, again, to in, in Sandbach. And it's funny because like I've, Sandbach and I talk about this all the time in the DMs, all the stuff that he's been ranting and raving about because I find him interesting and teach me your ways. But um, it's just that I'm not surprised that this is the conclusion that Gottfried has taken. Uh, one, because he, he's kind of been around for forever. Lord rest in his soul when that time comes. But like also because... What, what what has Marxism evolved into um, other than what we're seeing now? And really what that evolution was is that it decided to, like early Homo sapiens, um, either outbreed or breed with its contemporary ideologies. Like we have a little bit of Homo Neanderthalus inside of us. So, yeah. well, why doesn't modern contemporary quote unquote liberalism or whatever we call wokeism today, right? 
why can't that just be a way to have Marxism DNA inside of all of us and things like that? I mean, the same way that somebody like right wing quote unquote reactionaries are new leftists from the 1960s and 70s. Like, I, I'm just I'm not surprised. Like, I'm actually genuinely actually speaking of Haraway, I'm really surprised that neither Nick Land or Curtis Yarvin has referenced like the word like the Cthulhu scene at all. I'm very surprised by that. Yeah. But, um, I'm reading that right now, actually. But uh, well, I think Haraway's copying land here. Like she's definitely. This is one of the things about Nick Land that always fascinates me because the guys that know him only through like the Dark Enlightenment and this sort of thing, they would think you 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 would think he's just this this old bald boomer that just rages into the rages into Twitter all day. There's Nick Land is probably one of the probably one of the nine or ten most influential philosophers in the world currently. You know, like he was like his his early work, the stuff that we don't ever read is very heavily read by you know people like Donna Haraway, who is, Donna Haraway, by the way, is the first woman to ever receive tenure as a feminist, as a, as a professor of feminist theory. That's so like, right. That's how, like that's how, that's how far the other, Stuck to the it, other Judith. end of the spectrum. That's how, that's how far you are to the other end of the spectrum when you start talking about, you know, Donna Haraway. Well, what I think that this is sort of important to bring up because you made it, you referenced Land, and I was actually going to bring him back up again because I, I think when we take a look at, say, the, and we talked about this in, in, in Pat's chat, Geo, it's just like, well, yeah. really, what, what, what is Marxism other than, say, and I'll, I'll get so much shit for this, but I really don't care. Um, but like what Marxism really does emerge, though, as a reaction to, um, 19th century anglo capital liberalism in the midst of the industrial revolution um yeah and you know and the dis and the disaffectation of the failure of like you know the failure and mixed success of 1848 revolutions inside of europe right yeah and this is a thing that people who don't people who can't appreciate marx i, I say i went so far as to say that people like frequently oh <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Some guy didn't appreciate Marx right there, but see those super chats. Um, but no, I, I mean, like ask to prove about like the French Revolution connection to Marxism that uh, that Fool Tide did on Twitter. Good. Shout out to Fool Tide. Give me one second because I wanted to get this final point across. Yeah, and if but you like... could share a screen, if you wanted to. Bring oh no, I, I'm li I literally have my thoroughly noted copy of fanged numina in front of me uh yeah, yeah. so <laughs> i can't share that on screen but i do have the Maybe tiny... we'll talk about making it with death one day that's one of my favorite essays that is literally yeah. what i'm quoting yeah okay uh is making it with death uh the anti-oedipus interpretation of fascism is no doubt true but also is of enormous power the revolutionary slash fascist disjunction is used to discriminate between broad tendencies of deterritorialization and re-territorialization between dissolution and reinstitution of social order. Revolutionary desire allies itself with molecular uh, death that repels the organism, facilitating the uninhibited productive flows, while fascist desire invents the molar death that is distributed by the signifier, rigidly segmented in the production process according to the borders of transcendent identities. This is priestless and guiltless politics emerging from the writers between Spinoza and Reich, further developed by Klaus Thwait, whose study of National Socialism in his two-volume, Male Fantasies, despite its theoretical naivete, is the fullest flowering of schizoanalytic anti-fascism. Uh, I quote this little section here, despite the fact that some of this might not make sense. That's perfectly well. He means molarity in the Deleuzian Guattarian yeah, sense, yeah, like yeah, molar yeah. construction of identity, the, yeah. the the kind of shit that you would see straight out of a thousand plateaus. And yeah, Oedipus. that's what exactly um, where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I find that kind of bit to be really important when we discuss this sort of Marxism shit because 
where does this stuff evolve into? Where does this go from? Yeah. It, it devolves, well, I don't even say it devolves, it rather evolves from sort of the straight orthodox Marxist interpretation of material conditions, uh, which is why if you read some bits about um, Marx, and this is something that Sandbatch is kind of like, pointed out when he's sort of looking at the dark elves stuff with curtis yarvin um oh is is that you read parts of the communist manifesto or das kapital and you realize that there's a lot of like reactionary shit in here that comes out of the mouth of like right-wing posters well, at even, the time. but even like the opposite like what what's fascinating about making with death is that um, we'll, we'll discuss this one day maybe another stream because i wanted to go into we should i would love to do that but it's like that fascism is in some ways like a deterritorialization of power that then molarizes after like a revolution of violence, more or less. Um, well, yeah, that's yeah. the thing is, is that you, th those stuff have stayed like the evolutionary traits that allow Marxism to survive has, you know, propped itself up, I think quite well with how power is structured today. Um, yeah, it, it's coalesced between sort of this like postmodern reaction to sort of like the death of leftism and now it's sort of combined with, as Sandbatch, I think, perfectly described it, which was the, um, you know, capital reification of, of protesting against capitalism. Because yeah. you'll still see those. those Banksy as an artist is like the perfect. He's the perfect example of that. In the same way yeah. that yeah. you even get that um, bizarre expelled but reinstated tennessee representative about it like he's clearly making money off of this like this you know we can i read an article about... encounter and i read it oh, i'm sending this article my intro chapter it's from uh i have it right here what is it count is it like talking points mag or is it um talking points memo no it's uh commentary magazine yeah. about like the kid the the leaker and this as opposed to this kid that's sort of like reactionary, like it's sort of like liberal kitsch in the sense of like LARPing Martin Luther King, you know, the type of well, like yeah, theater kidism of it. And that, and, but that's oh, the thing. Referred to it as the, the, the new Pentagon papers or something like that. The, who's the, the Daniel, what's his name? The most awful person. Texiaria or whatever his no, last the name was, Dan, or? the guy that linked, linked the original, it's the name starts with a P. Uh, his last name starts with P, I think. Daniel something, the guy that leaked the original Pentagon papers. Uh, like, see, so like, yeah, there, I mean, there. Oh, Daniel like, Ellsberg. Right? Daniel Ellsberg, yeah, it's an E, not a P. Pelsberg, Ellsberg. Yeah, okay, whatever. You know, again, but you know, to quote Marx again, history, you know, history occurs twice. The first time is tragedy, the second time is farce. And, you know, just to re re recapitulate what I said again, that, you know, wokeism is dissent against capitalism, reified by capitalism. This is because when Daniel Ellsberg fires these memos off, he does serious damage to the United States. Okay, you know, there's no way you can, there's, there's no way around that. Shakes public confidence in the United States. This is a, you know, this is a global strike for anti-American, you know, anti-Americanism. But in the year 2023, when we get the, you know, when we get the neo-Pentagon papers, it just kind of, it just kind of lands with a thud. And, you know, you get like a week of news cycles out. Well, of I think it. it's because it was orchestrated, but that's besides, that's another point. Yeah, I'm sorry, we could talk about. Well. Yeah, I, I think that it was. Like, we went on how, with war how, on the war How convenient, it. right, for this to leak on a Discord. Yeah. And it contains everything that you would ever by want by the regime where a guy is like shouting slurs that it, and okay, uh, even if we want to just take Occam's razor into consideration, is there a slight chance that this is entirely possible considering people leak shit onto War Thunder yeah. or that I, any right-wing group chat I'm in would probably have someone saying ridiculous shit? Um, is that likely? Yeah. But is it also really, really bloody convenient that this happens in an age where 
We know that certain um, mentally ill, impossible women troon shooters were in contact on Discord with former FBI agents and things like that. Yeah, because mm. there's no way you get a hold of like a Bushmaster and plate armor for four thousand plus dollars. Does that word not trip the algo? Like, I could hear it. I could hear it. I could hear solemn providence whirring up in the background. Oh well, I mean, yeah, I would try to avoid the keyword. Yeah, give, give Geo money. Uh, in case that happens, um, this, this is demonetized. Yeah, but any, but to to get the point across is that on one hand it seems possible, but on the other hand, um, from everything from what happened in Las Vegas to recent other events with impossible people, uh, it's entirely timed, and I think it's likely that oh, we want to pass this new cybersecurity surveillance bill that is guys under banning TikTok, but also has sweeping surveillance powers about dissent, anonymity, and using other social media like Discord, Twitter, etc. How convenient that, you know, we did this. And at the same time, right, like the war isn't particularly going well. America's got a, a munitions problem, uh, as does its allies. And you've got all sorts of shit also happening. Well, I went, yeah, no, like I said, I went on this with uh, this week's episode of War Report. So, um, like, it is convenient and it's information. If you go to my Telegram, I ranted about this JJ McCollum video, which is so ridiculous about like here's radicalizing if you're a real world you'd be a good little liberal instead of listening to tucker carlson and people on youtube um it's like it's so ridiculous but the one claim like he, first of all mcclellan doesn't actually go into like the actual documents but the whole like notion that this is gonna put american servicemen at risk first of all why are american servicemen there really hmm? i wonder why uh second of all um all this information that's actually in the documents, people that have been listening to the Duran for six months now have probably known this. People that are in Telegram know this. Like, this is not new groundbreaking stuff. It's stuff that people have speculated on since, like, uh, at least, I would say, the summer of 2022. So um, the whole notion that, like, this bombshell information is akin to the Pentagon Papers is, like, ridiculous in my opinion well, like sam, like sam that, Bech said you were like even mark said you know second time is farce like yeah, this exactly. isn't going to stop yeah, yeah, the yeah, usg's yeah. position on their... on ukraine no no way it won't no uh, i mean it but, will, it will and this is the thing down, though maybe but well, this is the other well. thing though it's just like why does the pentagon papers have such a substantial impact on american foreign policy in vietnam um, right right in part because it primarily breaks with the you know, media orthodoxy at the time, which I mean, yes, the anti-war movement was gaining steam, but I feel like we, we talk about the Vietnam War with like such a progressive historiography that like we forget that most of the country was all for it, or at least, a, you know, like a 50% plus one at a certain no, point but, in time was. Well, and so you thing, have, and you yeah. have at this point, right, like uh, a way to like totally crack through and talk about, oh, we're doing far more shit than what is being told to the American people, Cambodia, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas this is like, well, anyone and their mother could have found this out, right? Like, because the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Who's guiding Journal, those Heimer missiles? Yeah. I wonder who. You uh, can, yeah. And literally with Sam Patch's job, you could track the tracking, logistically yeah. speaking, on boats and find out where all this shit's going. Um, and that, so that never ceases to amaze me. That I can just like, you, anybody can, by the way. It's not like some paid software. You can log on to like Vessel Tracker and you can like just watch tanker ships. You watch like, like, Thirty million dollar tanker ships just traveling to through Poland. the streets of Maluka. You know, like you know, it's like, oh yeah, what would you know? It would be awful if something, you know, be awful if Evergreen had a tanker blow up in the middle of the streets of Maluka, wouldn't it? That would really 
but really throw a wrench in the gears. You know, it's like the, 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 the targeting software is right there. It's open source. <laughs> well, and it's funny because that's what yeah. the Wall Street Journal was using when they were calling. I, I don't know. I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but someone was reporting saying like all these countries have sanctioned Russian oil, but we can track the vessels and illustrate how they're bypassing their own sanctions regime <laughs> in order to keep getting Russian oil. And this happened like, I think it was like May of last year when the wall street journal was reporting on this, like very early on in the war when the sanctions started rolling out, it's just very interesting to see, but like, to me, it just seems rather perfect to target, um, you know, a bunch of white yeah. on overly online racists, that anime profile pictures with anime this. profile pictures. To, yeah, Momocon to, return and to, to return this to the framework of wokeism, this is—I mean, this is like a really controversial. I, I'm trying oh, to decide. If I should, trying to decide if I should say this. Like, yeah, since I've done it, I have to. There's this. Do you remember the basic assumption group category that, that like, the bit that I had? Well, one of the assumptions of the ba basic assumption group is again return to this therapeutic relationship, and that the basic assumption group is considered to be kind of an unstable mentality. These are generally going to be people that their names are, they're pairing fight or flight and dependency. I think are the three names, the fight or flight one's the most interesting. And one of the methods that's prescribed because when someone moves into one of these basic assumption groups, one of the things you have to do is prevent them from backsliding into individual neuroses. Okay. So this is now one of the, one of the tasks of the working group is to prevent backsliding into what's referred to as individual neurosis. Okay. And as, as you know, the work, the full working group met full members of the working group, you know, which would be symbolized in the therapeutic relationship by the therapist himself, as they, as people emerge from basic assumption groups into the working group, they take on the role of the therapist or the custodian of the, uh, you know, of the group. And one of the things they have to do is, you know, continue to prevent, they have to work to pull people out of the basic assumption group into the working group. They have to work to cajole the basic assumption groups into, you know, whether or not they want to, to continue, you know, serving the needs of the working group. And one of these, this is, and this is the kind of thing that keeps me up at night is because I do think about this sometimes that the, that the E-right in not so much now, but when it was a, when it was a more congealed thing, yeah. it looks very, it looks very much like one of these fight or flight basic assumption groups. That's like it. And the way it serves the working group is that anytime you need a boogeyman, you can go point at those white dudes, you know, that are those point at those white dudes that are waving all of the hate symbols. Like we got all of them. There's always one guy at those things. that has got every hate symbol plastered on him somewhere. And that's the guy that ends up in the newspaper, of course. But you know, the, the we like to think of ourselves as you know pure dissenters in a, in a lot of ways, but there is a very there is a very real regime use case for oh, having yeah. a, for having a self selected group of antis. You know. Yeah. Um, no, hundred percent. I mean, it's 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 very much like, like it's ideological capture as well to the mainstream media because like most people aren't going to like actually question the assumption of like why a twenty one year old like national guardsman has access to these documents or like whatever. It's very much like a dramatic show of like, like, okay, people that watch CNN or people that are like boomer liberals, like they're never going to question, okay, why is it that America's there in blue yellow country? Why is this a national security concern? It doesn't, is, is America directly affected by this? Why do we hate Russia so much again? It's like, nobody questions these things. Um, so when you plaster like, 
oh, this guy was like spreading racist memes on Discord and he had an anime avatar and he had funny symbols and he had like, you know, Hyperborean edits that he was sharing to other kids. Then like even supposedly smart people can go, oh yeah, like, yeah, there you go. Like it's like nobody, what, what's conveniently omitted is like what actually is in these documents. You know what I mean? Because nobody wants to like ask the question of like, why does this become a national quote unquote national security concern? Um, you know what I mean? So I don't know, maybe I'm just fat Nick posting right now, but yeah. What do you, what do you think of that take prude? Um, what, what, uh, Sam Batch was saying? Oh, I mean, this is conversation Sam Batch and I've had behind the scenes and I mean, I've had similar questions about it because Did you see the e-girl that we ratioed yesterday, last night. There you go. That's a perfect example. She was did, probably a glowy. Yeah, yeah, she had the red scare shorts with a with a a bam book, you know. I mean, you are, you everyone's are like gonna, glowy, glowy, glowy. Like it's you know. You are y'all are gonna turn all of the e girls into rad femme light, is what you're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Literally a default friend take from today. <laughs> Sorry. Oh no. Oh no. I know. I know. I know, I, I know what I do. <laughs> oh man. Oh god. Lord That's have mercy. literally a um, default friend tweet. Go ahead. Go ahead, prove it. <laughs> uh well I didn't know. I, I saw the woman with the book and I didn't think anything of it because you see that shit all the time. Uh I so that out for me again. I see woman with book all time. <laughs> you saw the woman holding bam all the time what do you see is a bunch of like entryists all the time yeah. um and it tends to be women that do this this is why and i got in trouble because i took the bait doing it with those god-awful women from new york city with that weird impossible <laughs> woman one in the catholic church and i thought yeah, that, that seemed really um just fucking really inappropriate like i have no words other than that before i start spouting obscenities and i don't want to um <laughs> but no the the point that i think sandbatch is getting at here is one that always is in the back of my head when i do these things or i, I notice how the ecosystem operates this is that you do have various little groups that are under all sorts of leadership many cults of personality people that are built upon the credibility of others you have credentials by credibility by who can recommend you yeah and those aren't my words those are literally santiago's from newfounding because that's how we, we talked about it is that we have to base things on who can recommend who by word of mouth on credibility are you a good poster are you a good tweeter or whatever like are, are you someone that engages in drama and doxing and stuff like that but i mean it makes it really interesting no not you kelp your best girl you're your best girl <laughs> <laughs> um, uh classic geo um <laughs> so I, I so it does bother me though like in the back of my head like this is Whoa! a very easily mappable ecosystem like consider what data and society did in 2017 it was terrible right because all that it was really based upon was who made a, a youtube appearance with who right like very yeah. easy to create and disseminate a network very poorly to do so. And I mean, like, Twitter's not very you know hard to do. Well, I hate either. to bring let this me, up. Wait, wait, look let, me, let me terrify you. Let me terrify yeah. you. So here's Good what, because I was I was stalking an e-girl the other day. And I won't say... Which one? Which one? I know and, all of them. No, she's not. <laughs> she's, she's, a, she's, just a, she's just a Bay Area coder girl. She's got a blog. I've mentioned nope, her before. This is. But the, There's um, so many of them. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Some, so, like, I was like, 39,000 tweets. I was like, oh, I can't do that. So I'm like, Hey, Bing chat, go read 
follow this link, read all of these person's tweets and give me an in-depth personality profile. And it did it, you know, and, and like, then Whoa. I did it, then, then I had it do, then I had it do it to me and it got my Myers-Briggs right. Okay. So I'm like, oh, this is kind of creepy. Okay. So yeah, you could like the, the data availability for like mapping this network, anybody who doesn't have any large account that doesn't have their followers shielded, you just, you can enter a query in Bing's chat, Bing's like little chat GPT, you know, uh, interface say, return these as a CSV or return these as a JSON. And it will like, it will go in, you know, and essentially build you a spreadsheet that has everybody, everybody who follows everybody else. And then, you know, say, then you just start manipulating it inside chat GBT. So you, you want to see, that's you what know, Twitter like, literally did before Elon. That's yeah, the, right. the network people. Yeah. That's <laughs> the whole, that's the, what Travis Brown did. Yeah. It's so easy to do like, you know, net like linkage maps and this sort of thing. I guess what would like 2017, 2018, whenever we, everybody was getting doxxed and those like those pretty maps, those pretty network maps were coming mm-hmm. out. That woman that who Angela Nagel, was it her that did it? Yeah. No, it was she, from, there was, it was I know she, I was in a few of those actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I was too. Much. I was like, oh, look, there I am. But, you know, <laughs> the, I um, was right underneath Owen Cyclops, you know. Yeah. But the, the, thing that was amazing is like how come we don't ever do that like i mean i've yeah. done it for myself because i was interested in what does the publishing literary landscape look like in southern fiction right now so i just went and i did this like twitter linkage i'm like so who are the different publishers publishers of literary fiction in the south and who's following them and it just bang you know i've got a list of who the contemporary southern literati are you know and like i was like i was like why don't why don't we do more of this you know that's like that's serious you know that's serious data gathering um, but you know, I think we'll see more of it in the next, you know, couple of years. That's another thing. Cause you know, the left, you were talking about why is the left so far, so far ahead of us? The left had more, had more resources to say, you know, yeah. they can pay more people to sit around because three years ago you had to do all this data entry manually and now you don't. So like, you know, the, well, I the, hate the to bring this up. Of, yeah. yeah no, I hate to bring this up, but look what's happening yeah, yeah, right no. now. They're, they're persecuting, um, the people that went to Charlottesville right now and they're like dedicated like tracker accounts that like that give like they have github spreadsheets of like the shoes that people wore in that time you know what i mean like they don't tell me those people aren't being funded by something like it's you know it should be it could even just be ngos doing this type of anti you know what work but apparently now there's court cases going on yeah. There's a lot of NGOs, but I, I've done like a lot of research into like, especially when Stop the Steal, that all that Stop the Steal shit was going down. Right. Like, who is funding all of these people like on both sides? Who's funding all these people that just sit around and talk about this stuff all day? You know, it will be like, you know, they'll go screen and somebody in like Durango, Colorado, and they're talking about it. And I'm like, this guy has like absolute tech bro physiognomy. Um, and he knows what he's talking about, but where did he come from? Where is he and where does he go? when this like bit is over. And so I got went way down the rabbit hole. Like how do these groups get funding? And I just like, I'm just like, I tell you where Antifa gets their funding. It's a lot of private stuff. So they, you know, they, yeah, they pop up true. 501c3s. The guy that, you know, that, that it's a joint, look, happy 420. It's a joint paper company uh, called raw, raw rolling papers. That guy donated directly to an Antifa aligned group and then marked it off on his taxes. It was like $4 million. Oh, I think I heard of this guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I know you look into him and look into him and he fits the profile. So, I mean, yeah, that's where the funding comes from. It comes from these people, frankly, these people that have made 
way too much money way too quickly in the last 10 years doing you know stuff like you know like like stock scams selling well, look at bankman freed like look at that yeah people who effective altruists who like want to like take their ill-gotten weed fortune and do something positive <laughs> so they go fight fascism that's where it comes from yeah. you know it's not it's not any more conspiratorial than that i mean it is a conspiracy but it's not you know it's not i do no but i do think there's probably like the fact that they're doing the job of the of the government for them like i think there probably is something there i mean i know even like certain factions the I mean, right way what, what is the ultimate public private partnership then ensuring that uh you get your gibbs and the government keeps uh people out that would threaten that i mean yeah it's, true. It, it's classic patronage under the guise yeah. if we're gonna contract yeah, i mean like we're brand. under in this advanced state of liberalism what does the state actually do as somebody who's worked in political consulting and has brought me in contact with a lot of lobbyists and a lot of like a lot of consultants and a lot of actual politicians hold on yeah, just in case sorry. Had a new, had a New Orleans had a New Orleans moment there, but the um, the when you come into contact with the actual government, there's this question: What the hell do they do? They don't do anything except mark appropriations. Okay, so like like almost every actual function of the U.S. government, except for like vital stuff, like need to and even some need to know, like cybersecurity, government like government office cybersecurity is all shopped out to this company called uh, CrowdStrike. Okay, so yeah. like you know, they, they're pretty private companies doing carrying out nearly every essential fun. If you like built a list of essential functions of the government, there's private companies doing nearly all of it at this point. But that's the thing, though. I don't like the whole neoliberal dream that comes from even before Fukuyama. I mean, he really just ripped this off of Kojev. Like the universal state that sort of de that liquefies nations and like deterritorializes everything. This isn't like some like utopian fantasy. This is literally like corporate piss world you know what i mean like it's people that are like decentralizing tasks into like tech bro coders with too many too, too much times and like too much stimming on their hands like this yeah. is not a good world to live in it's not like this fantasy utopianism of like oh the oppressiveness of the state is going to lower and we're going to live in like this one global citizenship it's like no it's like if anything we live in like a way more crappier version of like where the nation state is left off from it's like the in-between you know, moment is more oppressive than like any utopian aspiration. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Which way I fly is hell, me, myself, and hell, to quote Milton Satan. The, um, there is a sense in which the, the people who are making money, is, and a lot of times, this is what I did as a consultant mostly. I acted as a, during the pandemic, I would take Nigerian Nigerian scammers that wanted to, offer telehealth services to the u.s government okay yeah. and so i would and that was what i would do i would i would help navigate them through the process of you know gsa contact procurement um but you know there's a this is a huge it's incredible business in the united states and the people who are in on it are making incredible amounts of money you know i was talking yeah. about this the other day when i said we, you know we live in the age of the tech bro the tech startup one of the things you know the, one of the things the tech start the, the tech startup culture has done is take it's taken you know relatively dweeby dudes and given them incredible amounts of money overnight and they do like dweeby shit with the incredible yeah. amounts of money that they get over and that's where you know like why does the culture seem so dweeby now that's the number one reason because the people who are because they're run by theater kids yeah, yeah the, the 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 people who are making all of the excess wealth in the united states right now have bad taste in everything you know? yeah no 100 why do you why do they buy into this like humans of flat design catch it's because they we have a poverty of vision and like 
I understand like you don't want to like go back to some like returnist fantasy. I think that's why also that could be like the appeal of Trump because he was sort of like 80s kitsch machismo, like golden arch, golden tower. I was going to say golden arches, but yeah, golden arches, of course, back when McDonald's was uh, more aesthetic. But, you know, Trump embodied that sort of like uh, yeah, his, Las like, his Vegas pink, kitsch Roman appropriation. Right. His pink yeah. tie, his pink tie with the double wins or not, you know. Like, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like the White House design. Um, but anyways, Prude, yeah, you're you're back. You took yeah, the, 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 long streams with one kidney are not all that friendly. Um, I wanted yeah. to ask you about. Um, I think like was it um, who was it? Was it my good friend, uh, Orthodox Canonist, or yeah, it must have been him. Um, like about the Orthodox view of Bolshevism and Marxism, like how they view it as like a sort of aberration upon the uh the russian spirit like like there's some like there's a lot of uh work about like the orthodox view of marxism but i'm yeah. not gonna give you the most complete answer on that and yeah because i don't know it really all that well um i i don't follow those two gentlemen very closely because some of the stuff i read from them and then they'll share people like yeah be an expat in russia and i just like get my eyebrow cocked real quickly like that just smells off um I, but I mean, like, if you were to look at the the lives of martyrs and those that had lived through it, they'll tell you it's an aberration, considering that it's a rejection of what you would consider the baptism of the Slavs, um, yeah, Saint Cyril and Methodius onwards. Like, really, an, an aberration from a thousand years of history. And then, if you read, for instance, um, the monk Moyes's book, The Saint of the Prisons, which is really a really interesting look at like Orthodoxy in Romania during the time of the Soviet Union, um, the you take a look at the man of uh, Valeru or yeah, Valeru Gefenk, and his idea and claim really is is that really the root cause of this, of course, is atheism. This is an aberration, of course, of the godly order which Holy Russia was established and then by chance overthrown, um, with a mixture of Wall Street and Germans in between trying mm -hmm. to overthrow the Tsar. Uh, but yeah, they'll they'll tell you that it's an aberration. But to me personally, I don't know it because I'm not from that area. That would be asking me, hey man, what do you think about like the German instance of blood guiltiness in regards to the second one? Like, I'm not going to be able to tell you. I'm not German. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. It, you you summarized it though. You know, you know, has an interesting take, and this is like, and actually, again, like I said, Dr. Livingston, he's a you know, he's a Abbeville Institute. He's, you know, he's actually probably the world one of the world's leading authorities on David Hume. Kind of a you know, personal mentor of mine in a way. And he's an Orthodox Christian. He's an Orthodox convert. And he's like real tied in with Dr. Gottfried. And one of his criticisms of Dr. Gottfried is to get to return, you know, when that, when Gottfried is like, he's like, Marx wouldn't have cared about this transgender. Sorry. Oh, that was a close one. <laughs> the, the, I think you Marx, would say transgender on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the, that's yeah. the stable word. Yeah. But you know, like, like Marx wouldn't have cared about any of this. And I'm like, okay, this is another thing that's sort of interesting about. But Gottfried's he would have. Yeah, yeah, Marx. But he would have. Yeah, Abolition God, of the family. Yeah, Godfrey's Godfrey's generation is sort of K-lined, hard K-lined into this kind of Cold War Soviet Union that was yeah. there was a brief moment in time when it was like a relatively like you know stable bubble of social conservatism arguably kind of you know they're still doing insane shit like you know bulldozing fruit orchards because a spreadsheet told them to but if you go back in the early days and you know i was i love i love early soviet lore i was hanging out with like charlemagne and turnip and you know thomas a couple other uh, a 
buddy's lake house recently and there's a copy of gulag archipelago there and i had never read the gulag archipelago there you know before and i sat down and read it and i was like this is a marxist text but you know the uh <laughs> the hmm. but there there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in the early soviet especially the early soviet union there's one group that it relentlessly fascinates me they're called the legion of the militant godless if you translate this into english and this is a literal not it's a state sponsored but not it's a state affiliated but not state sponsored group that sounds familiar you know mm -hmm. uh that they they get their kicks by doxing christians in the soviet union okay and then you know these people all get sent to the gulags and that sort you know and that sort of thing so like there's no shortage of this just absolutely wackadoodle utopia like one of the first things the Bolsheviks do whenever they, you know, whenever they seize control of the government is they put God on trial and they execute him by firing artillery into the sky. <laughs> so, 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 you know, to, to make the claim that, you know, that, that, you know, Marx wouldn't have cared about Marx. Absolutely. If, if Marx is around today, he absolutely has his pronouns in his, you know, in in his Twitter. Oh yeah, there's no, like, there's no, there's no doubt. So that's that's so the all, all those trans communists. They are kind of right though. Yeah, that's the, the, the uh, that's the you know the aspect of the Gottfried article that I think rings a little hollow. This idea that you know like that the Soviet Union was this bastion of social conservatism, even compared was, to now. No, no, it wasn't. no. I think now you can make that case, but not like at, like. The 90s in the Soviet Union, like the 90s after the Soviet Union, no. During the Soviet Union, certainly not. Um, I mean, I even Stalin's we, reaction by yeah. kicking out most of the original Congress Party members. I mean, just no. Uh, but yet Stalin did secure, in terms of the ethnic base of Russia, he did secure... Well, yeah, this is where you get yeah. Dr. Pohl's bio-Stalinism argument, where like yeah. he... He's basically like, well, we're going to take the core ethnic component of Russians, the Slavs, and we're going to just make sure we have a system in place to keep them on top rather than... And also at the same time... Because well, Russia incur... was always being ruled by minorities before. Well, yeah, but also yeah. at the same time to incur a sort of like ethnogenesis of like, you know, the new Soviet man style stuff. Yeah. And then you start moving a lot of guys into Kazakhstan, although that really changes after December 86, but... Um, that's a whole well, they, other they did the whole classic the discussion. It's a whole other one too. <laughs> yeah, they they did a number in the Chechnyans as well at this time. Um, yeah, but no, but that's what I mean. Like nowadays, like your average like Marxoid that like LARPs on Twitter with like a John Brown avatar, they don't like. They're like, what do you mean that communism had an ethnic component to it? That's that's crazy talk. Like, no, it's yeah, it's true. I mean. Nowadays, I don't know. I, I think like, yeah, I would agree that Russia is not a bastion of like trad orthodoxy, but never mind. I'm gonna stir bad with posting. Um but, I mean this goes back to the 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 principal complaint that a lot of people had with Gottfried's article was yeah. that Marxism and all of its iterations from Marx himself, Engels and his influences to today. Well, this is still, the tide talked about. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, right. this is what he made here, um, which was the, the simple and blatant obvious point that every bit of Marxist's iterations, which I think you can find quite clearly in critical theory today, yeah. um, you know, still advocates for complete abolition of all hierarchical structures, you know, in the, in the name of this egalitarian pursuit. Well, there also was in the Soviet Union, even, there was sort of like an andrine character to the workforce that women could like be in the fields with men 
and uh, other other things of that nature. Like, I mean, I don't think you could take that and extrapolate that to the full on um, like excesses of like a certain impossible woman view of the reality that comes from Tavistock and elsewhere. But I, you know, I mean, I think the seeds are definitely there. Well, I, yeah, that's why. Yeah. That's why my argument was is like if we were to take an ideology and treat it as an organism, which land right. Deleuze, Guattari, and others do, right? Yes. Like yeah. you're going to have that to Spangler watch. Spangler does before as well. Yes, yeah, he does. So, uh, it's all goes, it's all goes back to German idealism, kids. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, it doesn't. But it does. But it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't away. But I would, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, of I'm course, Deleuze is being, very critical. I'm, uh, I'm being slightly on Spangler, tongue real quick. Did you all? Did either of you all hop oh, into, the, or into into Spurgler acolyte space the other day about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was listening to my alt. Um, I wanted Thomas to hop into that one because it was on the, the most important chapter in Decline of the West, which is the the meaning of numbers, and that's the one where you know this. No, that's not. You treat- know what the most important chapter is? The one where he's talking about <laughs> impressionism. I'm sorry. That's the most important. Oh, well, no, okay, I'm kidding. As an art, as an art cell, as an art cell, I have to. Uh, I'm going to ban Fishy Frenzy in the chat just for for saying that. That's terrible. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love Fishy Frenzy. He's a good friend of ours. But uh, I can't, I can't abide by this take. Look at this. Look at this. I can't abide by that take. Bears, go ahead, Sam. Match. You were talking about a spurgler, and uh, no, I was just, that was it. It just hit my brain, and I felt like I needed to say it. No, but I mean, T seven seven did a great job in that space. Um, look at Fishy Friends; he's freaking out right now. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, final point before we get to stupid chats um, about Marxism. The one thing I think is like the postmodern angle of wokeism. I don't think I don't believe that they're true postmodernists. In my opinion. I think that Peterson and Lindsay. Um, like, okay, I'll give you an example. Like, you know, what you were talking about the Tavistock group and the sort of, um, in France, there were like the physicalist psychiatry school and Michel Foucault actually says, it's like, I'm with those guys. I'm with like the etymologists, like those people that are doing the medical research stuff that they shared from the British. And that seems oddly Foucauldian to say that the body is an amalgamation of legions that are healed over time by group identification. Of course, Foucault would say like, this is how you measure power is through like, this is where like the obsession, the woke obsession with bodies comes from is because they bastardized that very like Foucauldian analysis of like the legion of, of seeing the machinations of power on the body. Right. So it's funny how you talk about it that way, but to say that like, there is a case to be made that Foucault definitely inspired a lot of like the quote unquote, and again, I hate the word, the woke social theorists. But to say that like postmodernism as a whole is like equated with Marxism in the Frankfurt school. And like, therefore that creates like modern wokeness like that. That's like a jump like that. Like you have to be like, so incoherent. Like you basically have to be James Lindsay or Jordan Peterson to make that jump. It's like ridiculous. Uh, in my mind. It's yeah. like there, there's it's, it's a, it's a reduction to, it's a reduction reductio ad absurdum to use the Latin is what it is is what it is, you know. It's like it's, yeah. it's like you've 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 reduced the elements of what you're talking about so you've degraded them so thoroughly that you know, yeah. Information information bleed has rendered what you've said you know nonsensical. But even to equate postmodernism with like relativism, like the way that it's understood in like North America, it's like that that itself is a debate. That itself is like a huge assumption you know like that's 
it's just like theoretically i mean i know like i understand like on the ground it doesn't matter because like left activists are gonna like parrot the whole like not like thing about bodies irregardless but i'm saying like the theoretical structure behind like quote-unquote modern wokeness like that's I don't know. Yeah, well, this is in part because so much of today's dialectics, in, at least in politics, are, is homeopathic. Um, yeah. I mean, like, the left can shout about bodies and biopolitics all that they want, but all that they're taking is the tiniest, um, and dare I say, like, a, a linguistic form of a basic assumption group yeah. into a tiny little pill, which is then filled with, like, sugar and warm fuzzies, but it still has that little nugget in there. Uh, and then they'll just reiterate whatever they need to because most people haven't read. This that's stuff. exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. That's that's how intuitive this stuff is. You know, es most people don't read. <laughs> people people don't read. People are are tarted and all sorts of other stuff, and they take their little you know, take the red pill, take the blue pill, and it's like it's it's homeopathic sugar pills with like a little nugget of information inside, and then all of a sudden I'm magically enlightened on like the woman question or whatever or whatever question that you want to address. And it's just like, no, a lot of this stuff still takes, I think, to some degree, um, significant academic work. And if the two other gentlemen on here have post or post graduate or yeah, graduate degrees, that should be an indication that maybe they've studied a little bit. And also, I agree with Sam Betch, um, volume one, form and actuality, the most important chapter in that book is on numbers. Oh, the art analysis is the most important. No, it's numbers. Why is it so important though? Numbers here. I will he I will about... pull out the exact um here we go. Any oh style, the style of any mathematic which comes into being, then depends wholly on the culture in which it is rooted. The sort of mankind that it um it is that ponders it. The soul can bring its inherent possibilities to scientific development, can manage them practically, can attain the highest levels of treatment of them. But it is quite important to alter them. The idea of Euclidean geometry is actualized in the earliest forms of classical ornament. That is infinite. Um, Oh, he talks about post-Euclidean geometry being like the open plane of... Yeah, and that of the infinitesimal calculus in the earliest forms of Gothic architecture centuries before the first learned mathematicians of respective calculus were born. Um, I just... That paragraph kind of seals the deal for me, the, well, that chapter on that. No, but see, you can important. relate. But then it, you relate that to the same way Spengler talks about Impressionism, because in the sense that is non-Euclidean in that it is sort of opening up and like deterritorializing that space in the picture plane. And he's saying about Euclidean geometry, non-Euclidean geometry, following the same course of like Western civilization being like, Wait. yeah, go real ahead, quick for it. people. You, what, you all know what, what non-Euclidean geometry is. From my understanding, it's basically three-dimensional. It's like, uh, sort of it's like sort of bent plane geometry. So like, you yeah. know how like whenever you have a, a, in a, a triangle, Theoretically, a triangle can only have the internal angles can only add up to 180 degrees. Well, in non-Euclidean geometry, you bend you bend the the you bend the triangle at you know around an axis, and it creates a situation where all of those old rules don't work anymore. And you can have triangles that are like you know 360, not maybe not 360, triangles that are you know uh, internal angles add up to 185 angles, 185 degrees. Sort of yeah, you that's see what, this stretched what out with a triangle over a sphere or like a flat plane that has been stretched out. And this is where you see non-Euclidean geometry be used a lot in, say, calculating the impact of a gravitational pull on, say, if we were to treat space-time, right, like a trampoline, that sort mm. of stuff. So in other words, an abstract space to the point where you can have three-dimensionality. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, that's the way I understand it. I mean, I'm no, I, I'm like a math dyslexic, 
So don't take my word for it. But um, anything more about wokeness or the? Uh, it needs a new name or, for God's sake. Needs a new name, yeah. Like I mean, I think there's a bunch of stuff that I I think we shouldn't talk about here when it comes to like recent draw history and uh, what, like when the digital archipelago was away for a week. But you know, by the grace of God, go I. But uh, yeah. So any Did, final thoughts? Was there or, really that much that happened last week? Yeah, man. there was a lot of there was a lot of not a lot, not a lot, lot, but like definitely like I don't know. Um, mm. yes, you're going to Scaldings. Yeah, the Scaldings event in Tennessee later this June. Are you? Which going? I think Sandbatch is going to, although he just left here real quick. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you can't be so twitchy, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was me. That was oh. me. I thought oh, okay. I tried to re-enter him, but he came back up there. Uh, are you going? Oh, uh, I haven't bought a ticket yet, but I might go. Okay. Like I just like I, I'm just I'm not a very good plan. A little clear, clearly. <laughs> um, but I'll I'll be there, and I've got some people well, that I, I plan to meet up with. It'll be a good time. Um, uh, academic agent will be there. Um, so will Radlib, the distributist, if you want. All right, never mind. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, when is this? Uh, this is a sort of conference-like thing that we started no, but, in the U U.S. But last when year. Is it, when is it happening? Uh, in June. Maybe I could go. Because like, apparently should. May 11th. May 11th is the magical date when the uh, certain Flo yeah, gene-altering mystery fluid will uh, drop from being required to enter the United States. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I... I suggested Geo as the keynote speaker, actually, and there was questions about whether or not you could leave the enter the country. Whoa! I could be a keynote speaker. Yeah. I don't know. Should be a thing to talk to them about. And see. I could see my friend Bob. He's in Tennessee. He, we went to grad school together. He's a Heideggerian. One of the not, first conversations. Not, not Bob's at Bob's corner, though, which is good. No, no, my friend. He's on Twitter. Is bob smithers um one of the first conversations we ever had was about evola and chris chan i'm not joking and mm -hmm. he he made the mistake of asking me who is chris chan and i'm like okay you got a few hours he goes yeah so then the rest is history anyways um <laughs> time for uh time for the time for the money yeah, yeah, I got I, pretty good this week. I got a few good ones. Um, so let's let's go. I'm scrolling up. So any final thoughts on woke? I I see. I hate the term. Even I hate using. I'm I'm consciously like trying to find a term in my book to like not call it wokeism. And I'm like, what can I say? Global leftism is probably like a good description. <laughs> but um, glo global liberal global liberalism is a term I've always used. Um, so moving up, uh, so Sambach, you got anything? I put your, uh, I, all his links are in the description is, is Twitter and his sub stack. So, uh, Twitter. Yeah. I'm at like last time I checked, I'm at like 596. So four y'all need to pay up. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm you too, by the way, if you don't want, um, next week I might release, the uh, content minded with Dino World. We talk about Ray Pete. 
have to release that one. And the week after, I got a good one with Scott Mannion. I got a good one with uh, Josh Leketch. And I believe I have a really amazing one with Alexander Adams. But I got to start recording some of them. It's just that, like, listen, if I'm inconsistent with with the content-minded, it's because I have to write my book by the end of July. Sorry, the, the beginning of July. So that's why I'll be spotty with doing them. I'll try to keep up with... Um, Art after metaphysics because I have a big one planned for gen reviews. I want to go through all of the red book, and that's going to be like quite a task. And hopefully, I'll have my Discord up by then um, to do like book readings and stuff. So, first one for 420. Oh my God, 420 uh, by Stephen Hines. Thank you so much. I believe that was a sticker. Thank you, Stephen, for 420. If you guys want to like give me a meme question, like if you want to do uh, F Mary Redact. If you want to give oh, some God, that 420s. From the other week. Yeah, from the other week. Let's do F Mary uh redact uh for for 420s. Let's do that one for 420s if you want to sneed those super chats. So the next one is from I'm going down now. I'm I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Uh I'm trying to find it. My God, where is it? It's yeah, please give us a four. If you want to, if you want a F Mary redact, give us four twenties. Okay. Actually, if, if we're doing that, I'm putting this one on. Yeah, there you go. That's probably a better one. Uh, I believe the next one's from Yiz. Yiz. <laughs> I was going to make a dirty joke. Um, You're better than that. <laughs> You're better than that. Yes, yes. But I'm, but I'm not. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> no, because I did it one time on stream where I'm like, "Yes, the jizz queen." <laughs> like, not gonna do that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, our good friend, yes, the eunuch for ten dollars. Instead of wokeness slash wokeism, we should use anti-white anti-whiteism. Words shape through. We must folk force others into our frame. If you utilize their terminology, legitimize their ideology, discuss. Um, that's a good point. But I think, like, okay, I know Yiz is going to freak out on me in this one. But uh, I think that largely it is anti-white, obviously. But I, I do think that the all-encompassing intersectional nature of it attacks other areas of society and traditional values that I think is... Uh, it's not as inclusive, but all of those people hate white people anyway. So I guess maybe that's just redundant. Well, I mean, this is one of the think? things that like, you know, as a member of like what we like soft identified as a fight or flight basic assumption group, you're going to key in on threats to your, you know, to the specific group that you belong to. So that's going to, you know, you, the basic, this basic assumption group is actually characterized by mon by that tendency to magnify this one issue that's perceived as a threat to them. When in right. fact there may be other there may be other threats moving in other directions as well, and I mean I think this is this is all too all encompassing maybe to reduce, you know, yeah. to sort of that 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 sort of politics. Yeah, true. Prude, what do you think about that? Uh, very similarly along both of your lines. Like I think that everyone in this space is already going to know that it's not rocket science. People they just hate whites. Like it's, it's reiterated 
Um, it, it's been said on more than one occasion by mainstream conservative figures at this point that things are quote unquote anti-white or anti-white racism, which I, I don't like the latter term. Yeah, but I don't anyway. like. Yeah, it, but, but I mean, like, I, I think the fact of the matter is, is that it's out there. People know it, and the fact that it, that term is not going to be stopped. But I can't reduce wokeism to just it being plain old anti-white. If I wanted to, I could go like the full-on white anglo chauvinist route and simply say that like wokeism is anti-civilizational in america and the only people that built this like country were that group and just like go from there which i mean sure but i, I think that on the grand scale of things i look at the fact that america is exporting wokeness and i yeah realize that like oh like we're gonna like kill the world with this shit um, wokeism is spanglerian like accelerative decline in a way of like Faustian but, yeah, man, it I, creates I mean, its own destruction. Yeah. I, I think, yes, it is the whole system that we have here in America is blatantly against the founding stock of this country. Which, But then there is an importation of, like, third-worldist ideology. That's what Thuletide does, like... That's why I think having Thuletide around is pretty good, because he does keep you on your toes. That there is, like, an importation of, like, third-worldist ideology into, like... Yeah, almost as if that Cold War third-worldism never ended, which it, it hasn't. <laughs> yeah. um, but inter interruptions aside, yeah, I, I can't... It's it's anti-white, yes, but I don't think I can explicitly reduce it to just calling wokeness anti-whiteism because there is a lot more to it than that. I think Martin had a great take when he talks about like the 2010s, like alt-right, like trying to create like victimology, but for white people, that's never going to work. And like, really, you should be embracing more of like a heroism or more of like, you know what I mean? Because like to just like be like, L like, less woe is me yeah, yeah, less, yeah less woe is me and more saint george yeah but like i know like 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 even like spencer tried to do this about like you know like trying to like import like the excesses of critical theory into like what if we could talk about it but for white people because we we're going to become a minority anyways so it's like why don't we have the same idea as a minority group it's like that's not going to work that's I don't like even even people in South Africa don't like like even Afri Forum doesn't view it that way. No, as they like don't. a victim group, you know. Like by the way, I saw Conscious Car call in the chat. Did we congratulate him in getting uh, engaged? We did the other week. Okay, yeah, I almost he, forgot he DM'd it. me and he was like, "Hey, I caught that last one." He says, "Thank you." So yeah, um, he, apparently the the notes on YouTube is like controversial. Take, <laughs> did you see that one? He pointed no, that out on a not. digital archipelago. The last chapter is like controversial thought. It's labeled. Um, anyways, um, for five dollars, Ned Cattle is that a reference to Ned Kelly, the Australian uh, anti-hero? Um, there was a good article I read about the connection between the Tavistock Institute, the Grateful Dead, and fandoms. Never got to the point though. Shame. Part two, uh, though. Yeah, part yeah. Two. Somebody. Somebody is shaming me for writing yeah, an article a year, a, year, a year ago and never, well, you know, the, I'm going to see the dead on May 6th and I will, I promise I will have it out by then. How can you um, see the Grateful Dead in this day and age? Uh, it's dead and company. It's the surviving members and John Mayer is their lead guitar player. What? Without yeah. Jerry Garcia? Without Jerry Garcia. He plays Jerry Garcia's guitar. You know, yeah, but who so cares? Who kids? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, we're gonna revolt against revolt revolt against the this they took this from us. They took they this took, from yeah. us to you. That's like Leonard Skinner playing. Well, I shouldn't say that. Leonard Skinner result was pretty decent without you know the original crew, but 
$10 by actual physical kelp. Um, maybe I could take her for dinner one day. Um, take my money, Geo. Thank you so much for $10 by actual physical kelp. Please slide into my DMs. I'm very lonely. I'll treat you right. Um, yeah, all that good stuff. All that simping stuff. And $2 by J Ford. Haha, <laughs> tanker ship kobu. Um, yeah, I, I know Sam Batch was fed posting a little bit there. He didn't mean actual. He meant like, what if it would be a shame if another... a shame if the Lusitania. Yeah, I was not, absolutely <laughs> not in, not endorsing, you know, bombing tanker ship. That's like, 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 really no irony there. Don't do that. Wait, Sam Batch, you work in logistics? Is that your normie job? Yeah. Whoa. Ship like shipyard legit. Like, what do you do? Uh, I don't What's ever actually security go, number? I don't, yeah, I don't ever actually go into the shipyards and I don't like, I've essentially just, you know, it's it, import export, import export, like George Costanza, you know, <laughs> you work for Vandalay Industries. Um, yeah, art, I work for Art Vandalay and for $50 by Owen Zaleski. Our good friend Owen, thank you so much, my friend, for $50. Hello, all. Happy Easter. I'm working on a substack for my writing, mostly short stories and poems, including a ballad about Billy the Kids fighting Dracula with very unironically explicit Catholic themes and elements. Is this cringe or kitsch? God bless. Well, it couldn't be. I think it could be saved. I think that could probably be something I, I would. Billy the Kid Catholicism I like the idea. I love the idea of, of Billy the Kid shooting Dracula with, you know. <laughs> Isn't there an anime about a priest that hunts vampires? I would not know. I think there is. Our, one. our anime heads in chat can tell us. Yeah. And for $5 by J Ford once again. Thank you, J Ford. Trad Woman Aesthetics is such cool. Yes, it is cool. No authenticity. Anyways, you guys got any ideas about patron networks? I think we discussed a little bit about Patreon networks. I mean, I, that was a wait, I, that was a fascinating mixture of sentiments. Yeah, I, I know. Right? To point out that you is can a say a lot for five dollars, Sandbatch. Um, <laughs> like like Texas Beach on Fish Tank. <laughs> uh, no, but it is. It, I, I find it to be cold because all that it is is like we're going to commodify um, like the lonely desires of overly online men. And then we would yeah. laugh in the face of those that would actually want that shit anyway. There's hey, look, I mean, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm 100% okay. I'm okay with Brad Fem light. I'm okay with trad. Yeah. I'm, I'm as long as they're, I'm not interested in what, I'm not interested in the clothes they wear. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm interested I mean, when they take it off. No, sorry. <laughs> Which we always appreciate. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. No one should be Murdoch Murdoch here and give a shit about wheat fields and things like that. Like, it's a nice aesthetic that has been terrifically turned into cringe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. Uh, as for patronage networks, we've talked about it a little bit before, and I know that um, Sambach and I have privately. But like, basically, at the end of the day, um, inside this space, the patronage network is me, Geo, and everyone else that does this stuff are all clawing for middle income white people's like disposable income to give to us. It's primarily oriented towards millennials and zoomers ages 18 mm -hmm. to 35 is the primary some gen Xers. Uh, and some gen Xers. I've got plenty have of money that have money that sends some cash. And that's why I publish on Substack now because no of the same. gen Xers that have money. Yeah. For the <laughs> gen Xers with cash. Uh, but so the, the problem they're in, right. Is, is that if any, like with the recession that is most likely to come, 
uh, and also inflation, there's nowhere on earth, right, where that patronage network is going to be sizable enough to fund everybody. Yeah. And so, like, at any, like, so say a recession happens or another bank run or anything like the grift for a lot of people is going to dry up very quickly. And you're going to determine who's actually in this for their beliefs or that they like what they're doing. Um, or if they're just in this for a quick and easy buck, because it's easy to say, I don't like those wokesters from time to time. Uh, so really the problem is, is that how does ordinary people like you, myself or anyone else, um, try and get around that. And I think that this is going to be the need for say physical media, the, the book Revenge of Analog, I think, indicates that there's money to be made in like actual print stuff and books and things like that. I mean, it's very niche, but it's there. Uh, same with newsletters and things like that. And then secondly, I think that it would require you to take your talent that you have and start page or like looking for to generate a network or to generate a product or a artifact or an artwork or whatever that would potentially draw you um, interest from people that aren't our normal audience. Not to say that we don't love you, but obviously like the rest of us, you have a job and a life and things like yeah. that. Live, and gas is getting more expensive again. Sheesh. So yeah, I, I just think that patronage is going to be something that is make or break for like the quote unquote e right this year. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's I why the, that, yeah. that new founding group. I have, a, I have, a, I really, I really hope they do well. Cause I think it's probably the, probably the, the best i mean that's the way the left works the way the left works yeah. they just have they, you know they've recruiting firms you know you go they're the left is the, the left version like uh, of um of new founding is called linkedin you know you can go yeah. on there and you could like you, you could you, you hit the filter get rid of all the white dudes get rid of you know and all of you've got you've got the pool of people you're trying to patronize yeah, yeah, and I, I, New Founding is great. I went to their offices in Dallas a while back to interview Santiago. Uh, Santiago is, I, I might, I don't mean to get them in trouble, but Santiago is like the only non-WASP person working in their office. It felt like a country club. Like, I'm white as can be, and I felt like, oh shit, I don't belong here. <laughs> yeah. So um, the I, Irish they're, they're, in you, that's they're, they're definitely our people in that respect, and I, I do hope that they succeed. I mean, Irish is non-wasp. I don't mean that Irish are white people. I, Irish are definitely white people. Are they white people? Yeah. Are they Irish? We white? don't have enough super chats to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. If you we can address get, the IQ somewhere else. If you wanna, if you wanna play uh, F Mary uh, redact, give me four twenties. And also J Ford for four twenty. No meme question. You should not entertain them. Well, I know Jay Ford, but they are hilarious. I do like playing F Mary Redact. And also I'm I, I, I'm desperate for the super chats. Um 550 by Hallison. Uh, am I pronouncing Hale Halicy Halcyon Halcyon. Halcyon by Orbital, one of the best songs ever created. Um Halcyon, thank you. For 550. What should I read as my first big boy philosophy lit? Go and read Plato's Republic, in my opinion. Start for the absolute basic. That's basically every um, every question in Western philosophy up until, I would say, the 20th century can be found at least in its nascent acorn stages in Plato's Republic. I think you have to start from the bottom to go work your way up. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Uh, I would say beyond good and evil. That could be it's a good one. But for introduction, though... Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like that's the the inmate the inmatiest race approach. 
I just I understand it's controversial, but yeah, that's 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 the one I would be like, yeah, Beyond Good and Evil, right like there. You have to lift a few plates before you could read Beyond Good and Evil, though. I feel. Yeah, my my idea of a zero shot is probably not the same as other other people's idea of a zero shot. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Prude? First, first philosophy book. First philosophy. Oh, serious one. Serious first one. Serious. Um. <laughs> it could be a religious scholar. It could be like a saint. No. Well. No. I. If confessions. You're to... Oh no! I wouldn't start with confessions. I mean, that's a hefty book. Uh, no, I would not tell anyone to start with confessions. You know, That's like I had to, I, early I, Christian autism that I think that you might want to. St- I would recommend <laughs> that you start with Plato. Um, uh, that would be my recommendation. Um, yeah, wholeheartedly. It would start start with the to, Republic. I had to translate all of uh, confessions. My what? Yeah, that was the. It was my Latin capstone was tra- translating, yeah, tra- translating confession. That was oh a oh my god, okay. that's crazy. I could I could imagine doing that. <laughs> Holy crap! Um, I guess if you were good at Latin, you could do it though. Were you good at Latin, Chris? Uh, at the time, I was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And it, but it's it's like one of these things where like it's it's difficult to focus on the Latin because this like like dark psychedelic 600 page text is unfolding very slowly word by word in front of you, you know, like, it's like yeah. induces mental breakdown. I, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, really you could start anywhere. I mean, a lot of people would say the Republic. I think that the Statesman and the laws is also pretty decent as is yeah. symposium. I Plato is always a good start. If you wanted to get a look at Western maybe. philosophy very early on. Yeah, I think like the Phaedo. But then again, the Republic is pretty all-encompassing, though, when it comes to the Platonic corpus. But um, anyways, moving on. Don't do that. Reading you loud and clear. Buster, $2. Oh, man. Sorry, Jay Ford. Sorry, Jay Ford. Um, Do we have any more here? Oh, yeah. Um, For $5 by Fishy Frenzy, our resident Amarnite. Um. Just saw the absolute gem cosmo, uh, Cosmopolis. Do you guys like David Cronenberg? Yes, I love David Cronenberg. Have you seen Eastern Promises and History of Violence? Both were good. I think I've seen both of them. I remember more uh, history uh, Eastern Promises than History of Violence. But I do like both Vigo Mortensen, Vigo Mortensen and Ed Harris. So what do you guys think of those two? Do you like Cronenberg? I, I, I love Videodrome, bro. That's like uh, I've seen Scanners, Crash, The Fly... Um, I Existence? Have I have not. Um, yeah. I've not seen Eastern Promises though, so I, I can't comment. But I like his. I like him. You'd like Eastern Promises. It's really good. It's about mm-hmm. the Soviet. It's about like the Russian mafia, and um, it's really great. Sam Batch, you like Cronenberg? I have. I don't. You know. I. I don't know. I don't know who he is. I don't watch movies. In fact, I, I watch so few movies that really? are like. Of a woman friend of mine who works in like Ashley Colby style regenerative agriculture and like hmm. has has no contact with the world told me that I need to watch more movies. Like that's it's been I think it's been two years since I watched a full movie. I'm a I'm um, more of a cinephile myself. Like yeah, movie. you know, I mean, it's not that I'm not, but again, well, I, I took so many. I I don't know how you because I'm sure you had to take a lot of cinema courses as well. 
at this point, like I'm no fun to watch movies with because the technical aspects of filmmaking are what interests me. I'm like, so how did he get oh, this yeah. shot? You know? And so like, you know, nobody wants to watch movies with me. Cause I'm like, you, I'm like, like when we do the, the, uh, you know, you do the, the, the upward, the upward tilted shot into somebody's face. It's like Kubrick's trademark. I'm like, yeah, freeze that. And I talk about it for 20 minutes and everybody's bored, you know? So like, mm. I, just, I just don't, I don't see many movies. You should read Brisson's essays on filmmaking. You should do that. It's like that's really- going to be my, my, for the rest of 2023, I'm going to force myself back into movies. I didn't read fiction for years either. And in the last yeah, six either. months or so, I've, I've gotten way back into fiction. Really? I, I don't, I'm not a big fiction reader. I'm almost done with house of leaves, but um, I have to, yeah, I'm not, my old man's more of a fiction reader. So for a super sticker for 149 by J4, wait, let, let's YouTube studios. Uh, let's go to that super sticker. Let me go. It's uh, I can't tell what it is. So earnings. Super, where's supers? There you go. J. Oh, it's a gem. Oh, it's a gem. Thank you so much, Jay Ford. Uh, really great supers. Um, it's a jemmy. This whole stream is a jemmy. So there you go. Uh, final thoughts, final shilling, guys. Before let, let do you, come on, guys, give me one F Mary redact in the super chats. I will do. So I know there has been any trend for how this meme plays out in this. Show. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to point out that I, I've been keeping an eye occasionally on the comment sections. And I was surprised to see that some of my regular hecklers were not yeah. there, but then I, I just, I, I just flipped over and there's Jake with South Carolina avatar calling me boring again. He is in there's every, every time I, you had bad takes that were like tons and tons of bad takes one after the other. It's impressive. He said, <laughs> I mean, I, I am, I do have some bad takes and this because I'm, I'm in a lot of ways I can be your designated bad take guy. Cause I literally don't care about my reputation at all. So I will, I will, I will post the poll <laughs> so you don't have to. I try to avoid them cause then you could get griped on Twitter. So it's not gonna like the whole Catholic thing recently. You've guys been following that. Um, like Catholic, like Catholic, like literal, like Dominican priests, like posting cringe about. Uh, no. that? Is this in respects yeah. to what's happening in El Salvador? No, no, it's well. I think one of them was that, but also it was just about like race and Catholicism and. Oh, are you telling me that like the Marxoid liberation theology stayed in South America and it's still having a prominent impact on racial and economic relations today? <laughs> Say it ain't so. We haven't left 1970. Jeez. Oh my God. It's funny. A cl- classic theist had the best response to this one guy. And the guy like screen cap classic theist. And it's like, man, I, I, I just don't, I, I don't like, the day, like when I see priests on Twitter posting like Wojak memes, I'm like, what's going on here? This isn't good. This isn't good. Anyways, for 420 by Fishy Frenzy, of course, he had. I'm even scared to put this up. Um, you forgot to observe the bit. We did in the beginning, Fishy Frenzy. You weren't here. We, we talked about how tw- April 20th is a historic date for so many different reasons. Um, Without any bias, we're not making any statement either or for YouTube purposes. So yeah, 
Um, but there you go. Uh, this has been a great stream, guys. So no F Mary Redact. Come on, guys. Come on. I'm begging you. Be Did you see the trade? Are you this? Chart? Are you this? Do, do you totally want me to? You you want me to make one up for you? You're not gonna like it. No, no, no it's, it's, <laughs> I'm curious now. I'm curious. No, I'm, oh, I'm not. Did you see the I'm not doing it. The default made, but then like. People were like, why isn't default in this one? It was like, uh, yeah, I was like, I was, I was, I looked at that and I was like, hmm, something's missing. Where, where's the cream filling? Yeah. <laughs> it's a, you know, but then someone made a Twitter poster, like a, a guy one. And like literally every single e-girl wanted to um, redact zero HP Lovecraft. Um, so Oh my God! For two dollars by Owen Zaleski, F Mary Redact, Gem Cole Sneed, uh, like memes. I don't know, guys. What do you guys? Okay, Mary, Mary Sneed, because it's eternal. Um, I guess do Cole because it's the hot new thing. No, actually, no. Mary Gem, gotta marry the gem. Uh. Have relations with Sneed, and I guess because Cole is getting Cole. Ironically enough, the Cole meme is getting Cole itself. So I guess redact Cole. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm in accord. Shit with the response. Sorry. <laughs> dumb. Oh, and this the one the that Dave Ford just sent is even worse. So <laughs> um... for twenty dollars, F Mary redact the current panel, but gender bent. Like this is an indication, Geo, that this is um you you need help. <laughs> okay, listen. You gotta answer this one. This is twenty dollars. Um I would marry prude. I no, I can't do it. Do it. <laughs> okay, marry because prude would look good as a woman. Uh I'd marry prude. Oh, I'd probably I'd probably have a good time with Sam Batch as a woman, and I'd probably have to sunset myself. <laughs> what do you guys think? This is a suicide pact. We all have to op ourselves. So yeah, that's the only answer to this. The only answer. On the count of three, know, we I all think, pull the trigger. I think, I think Prude would look good as a woman. I don't know. <laughs> I think Prude would, I think, I think, I think, I think would look good as a woman, but I think Geo would bear better children. Maybe, I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Prude's kind of skinny. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Look, he's not, he like just muted the fruits. Like, <laughs> I love how we put him through punishment every single stream. You know, earlier um, today, um, someone in chat had popped off saying, uh, every episode of the Digital Archipelago is a humiliation ritual. And I said, no, it isn't. <laughs> and um, there are days where I think he's right. <laughs> no, there he is. There yeah, like, when you said this isn't a humiliation, you're absolutely right. We have another. We have another sticker from uh, 4.99 from Nato Tomato. Thank you very much, my friend. And it is a keep it up. It's it just says keep it up. And it's a little cartoony character. So, oh my god. Um, we have another one by J Ford. Is J Ford? Let's. What's the one by J Ford? Yeah, he sent that. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, J Ford. Um. So thank you, Nato Tomato. Man, I did pretty good this week. Holy crap. Um. 
Yeah, Winston Wolf, I agree. What a Winston... Uh, the <laughs> He got the withered Wojak. <laughs> oh, that's so brutal. That's so brutal. We put... we Every every episode, Prude is put through punishment. So, um, oh my god. But thank you guys. This has been a great theory sellish type of episode. I think, listen, listen, not to make enemies, but I think this stream was on par, if not a little better, than AA stream on the Godfrey article. I don't know. What do you guys think? It was pretty good though. The the, God, the AA stream on it. I, I didn't. It. I didn't listen to it. It's, it's yeah. a little bit. It was pretty good. I can't help you there. I, I haven't yeah, seen right. it. I was actually literally said earlier, I was like, I'm leaning on Geo and Crude to have watched at least one of them to have watched that. But we, we, it didn't come up. There was no reason. We didn't need to talk about it. Well, we had our own we did a, cakes. We did it. We were pretty self-contained, I would, I would think. Yeah. Oh, my God. 49 a.m. by Cody Browning. No amount of these chats will buy back. Buy back your TV. <laughs> Oh no! No! That shouldn't stop. Just because, just because there's a goalie doesn't mean you don't shoot. That's true. That's true. Hopefully the Maple Leafs learn that one tonight. Um, God, I was so disappointed. The the officiating was terrible. Michael Bunting getting that suspension just for elbowing a guy. Like, come on, come on. I mean, it was payback though, because the same player, you know, sticked him the the period before but anyways enough about that thank you all do you guys have any last minute chilling next week going to be dino world on content minded and hopefully on digital archipelago is going to be on crude's channel we have a great stuff to cover um geo didn't have dignity when the stream started <laughs> everyone sent one dollar with the amazing atheist <laughs> that was that was classic see way before stefan molyneux did that the Amazing Atheist had a stream with Fake Sagan where Fake Sagan was like waving a Glock around and he was like chastising a guy for not set for only sending one dollar. So um we're gonna get a bunch of one dollar super chats. Uh anyways, do you guys got anything to shell, Prude? What what do you got up this Saturday? Uh, uh I will actually be out of town this Saturday. So I will hopefully have a video out either tomorrow or Monday. There'll be a Substack out tomorrow as well. Next weekend we'll be covering the concept of the Davidson window on prudent observations with regards to the issue of um, Taiwan. And for those who are supporters via channel membership, Substack, or Subscribestar, um, there will be Patron Book Club this coming Saturday on the 29th at 12 p.m. Eastern. We will be covering the considerations on France essays from Volume 1 of Major Works by Joseph de Maistre, courtesy of Imperium Press. So if you want to have a readily accessible book club where every month we cover a new batch of books and things like that, by all means, there's a new Real Talk out, which is more of a nature story. Um, it pairs rather well with Morgoth's latest rant as well. And then if you want spice, go to my Odyssey where Dimes and I talk about Murray Friedman's 1995 book, What Went Wrong, The Creation and the Collapse of the Black Jewish Alliance. And that's part one of probably three. So we'll be back covering that book soon. So yeah, plenty of good stuff coming down the pipeline and plenty of stuff already out. Your continued viewership and support is always appreciated. The Digital Archipelago is funded by viewers like you. Take care. Oh yeah. And Sam Batch, you got any writings coming up? I want to see 600 followers by the end of the day. And this is this is a suggestion 
but it will become a threat if, if, you know if, 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 it, if it needs to and i will yeah i'm like i'll i'll, I'll have some sub stacks for everybody soon um they're not going to seem like they make they're going to come in a series that don't seem like they make sense but if taken all together i'm really circling the drain on a new theory of history that i was forced to concoct so Whoa. hopefully we're hopefully they'll have this moment where they all start to they all start to come together and you know congeal into something readable. So if y'all if y'all are following me on Substack, bear with me while I get while, while I get my nonsense out. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> don't think threats and buy you monkeys. <laughs> oh man, anyways, thank you so much, guys. Like I said, if I'm spotty on the content minded and the book reviews. It's because I'm writing my book and the past few months, just bear with me. So by the summer, hopefully I'll have nonstop content. But anyways, thank you all. God bless. Goodbye to sweet. See you, gents.